Kravitz. If you have not followed his Triple H Horse Racing Podcast, you're missing out. It's one of the best podcasts in the country. Good evening and welcome to episode 279 of the HHH Racing Podcast. I'm your proud host, Howard Kravitz. Thank you very much for joining us tonight as we have a very special show previewing the Del Mar Pick 5 this Saturday, the late Pick 5 with graded stakes. It's a fantastic sequence and card. Plus, the one and only, the track announcer at Saratoga Racecourse, Mr. Frank Maramadi will be joining us live with your questions, and he'll be talking about many things. We're really excited to have Frank on the show. That'll be after we handicap Del Mar. Please make sure you subscribe on the bottom right-hand side of the screen. Hit that notification bell, and I mean smash that like button. You can follow me on Twitter on my name tag, at hkravitz. And, of course, scrolling on the bottom of the screen is my email, hkravitzhorse at gmail. Dot com. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor. Look below the video player for our regular Power Picks, which is on our fantastic website. I'm not sure we've even talked about our website enough. We talk a lot about our YouTube channel, of course, that you're a lot of you are watching right now. Uh, but our website is fantastic. Pete Visco does a great job with it. Please check it out. There's pages of information, everything you'd want to know about the podcast and many other things. So please go to our website as well, uh, hhhracingpodcast.com. Uh, you can see it below uh, on the banner right now is our Patreon website for our Power Picks. Then we also have Saratoga-only Power Picks. If you want this weekend's Power Picks, you do need to subscribe in the next five hours as we're filming this, excuse me, four hours by uh, midnight Eastern time. So if you want this weekend's only weekend number three power picks, go to our website, hhhracingpodcast.com. Uh, There's a banner for the website as well. So please go ahead and check that out. Uh, also, one other thing, I did email everyone who is a power pick subscriber. As many of you know, or you should know by now, I am traveling to Saratoga Springs, New York. Very excited. My flight leaves in the morning on Saturday. So due to my travel schedule, things I have to do. Tonight, Thursday, I will be e emailing out the Friday Saratoga Power Pick. So if you receive Saratoga Power Pick tip sheet, you will receive Friday's card tonight, Thursday night through email. And then the Saturday and Sunday um, tip sheets you will receive Friday night or tomorrow night. Those can be written by Pete and Paul, and we will email those out to you Friday night. I uh, just want to give you a heads up on that. If you are a regular PowerPix subscriber, I will be emailing that out also uh, probably tomorrow morning, Friday morning, for the Saturday uh, regular PowerPix. So anyway, check your email. Things are going to be changing next week. Our, our shows might look a little different where I have different new technology because we're going to be in Saratoga, um, the whole the whole crew. So, again, look for our YouTube channel. Look for emails. Things are going to be changing. We are extremely excited to be at Saratoga next week uh, to enjoy the races and all the festivities at the spa. All right. I think that takes care of everything. Let me bring on my fantastic co-host first from the Saratoga Special and the Commonwealth on Massachusetts, and someone who will be in Saratoga, I believe, starting Tuesday, Mr. Paul Halloran. 
and fresh off the beach, no, not the Caribbean, but almost as beautiful, the Jersey Shore, back from his vacay, Mr. Pete Visco. Guys, how are we doing tonight? What's up, fellas? Good to see you guys again. It's been forever. Pete, good to see you, man. Show wasn't the same. I had to deal with only Paul, but we managed somehow. I mean, that, that that's rough, but luckily you get it's him at night. There. Yeah, you get him at night, so it's it's, you know, he's a little tired and slow, so it's all right. Yeah, that's right. We got a lot of people in the chat. Let's see. We got oh, we have so many people here. I mean, let's see. Uh, we got Katie. Katie is here. Hello, Katie. We got David Duncan, better known as Racing Downwind. Hello. Let's do this. Veil vale Place. This is a smashing intro. Love Howard's face. From the Derby, yeah, the, can I, I, I've told the story. I'm not going to get into it, available. That was an actual reaction. Like I didn't make that up. I was literally watching the Derby in real time, and that was a WTF moment, guys. Obviously, uh, we've got Sylvain uh, Bonsoir. What's up, Sylvain? How are you, Sylvain? Can you take care of some of those forest fires in Canada because we had some bad air quality here in Chicago this week again? Uh, let's see. We got Thomas Spinoza is here. The whole gang is here. Uh, guys, before we get into Del Mar and then into Frank Miramati's life, which we're really excited to have Frank Miramati on, let's quickly talk about the Haskell. Go Rocket Ride, Richard Mandela, 12 to 1. I know all of us were sort of against Arabian Night in general for Baffert, but uh, I know, Paul, you and I had a little bit of trouble finding Go Rocket Ride, although you used them a little bit. I think, Pete, you used them. I was completely against them, and I was completely wrong. Pete? Go ahead, Paul. You you could go first. You look like you well, had something I, to say. Yeah, I was kind of – I found him. I just didn't capitalize on him. I mean, I, I he was not my top choice in the race. But I would say solidly that if Arabian Knight did not win, uh, my two with the three, uh, the Brad Cox horse who did not run well, and go rocket ride. He, he was a solid B for me. I, I had a pretty good double starting with Catnip, who got beat in the leg before. You got Catnip. Uh, I got, I got, I got more than nip. Yeah, that would, that would have been a good one because he was not the favorite in the race, I don't think. And then I started a pretty good pick three with Go Rocket Ride singled, and of course I couldn't get the other two legs home. So it was shocking to no one. I did not capitalize on him. So again, I didn't love him, but I thought he was a real viable alternative. Paul, I know you mentioned to me off air that you're a little, well, disappointed is not exactly the words you used, but I, I won't, I'll let you speak for yourself. Uh, the fact that Go Rocket Ride is not going to the Traverse, I get it. He's going back west, they need to come east, he'd have to go back home, then go back east again. He's choosing the Pacific Classic. Yeah, I, I guess we're disappointed as Saratoga fans, right? He's not going to Traverse. Well, no, we're disappointed as racing fans, Howard, because you get to be a three-year-old once, and you can run in the Derby once, the Preakness once, the Belmont once, the Jerkins once to some degree, the Test once, uh, and the Travers once. And with – hey, look, everyone – we went through this before with Flightline. Everyone's got to do what's best for their own horse. Mandela's a Hall of Famer. I like Mandela. I just think, though, you know, if, if you have any type of inkling for the good of the game and the history of the game – you send them to the Travis, or if you want to win the three-year-old division, because it is wide open, you know, he wins. If he wins the Travis, he's the three-year-old champ barring a three-year-old winning the class. Yeah. I, I was thinking, it's funny, Paul, you say that I was thinking of that earlier today in preparation for the show. And I, to me, he's out from three-year-old champion, unless oh. he wins, uh, unless, I mean, I guess, unless somebody weird wins the Travers, 
and you know somebody doesn't win the Travers and the Dandy, and he wins the Classic. Well, if then, he wins the and Classic, the Pacific, right. then, then he'd have to do all that for me. Otherwise, he's out. I don't even. I wouldn't even consider. You can't not win a Triple Crown race or the Travers and win three year old of the year in my book. Yeah. Now, if he wins the Pacific Classic in the in the Breeders' Cup Classic, which I think is unlikely. Yeah. Um, then yes. Then he's in the conversation. But I don't know. I look at. I get it. But you know, he's talking about the ship. Well, the the Travers is in a month, so. I'm pretty sure you could go right from New Jersey. I, I think they would have given him a stall up at Saratoga. <laughs> it, I sure. mean, it is. Yeah. Uh, listen, I, I'm not going to question Mandela. I get it. It's a little disappointing. Maybe they obviously don't care about three old champion. They just want to do what's best for the horse in the short term. And that's where they're deciding. Uh, by the way, guys, I need to uh, mention something real quick. Some people might be wondering, I, mean, I love TVG. Obviously they've, been great to us but why am i wearing the hat specifically tonight i got a little shout out guys and a little quick info one shout out um to nick nick knows who he is he's a senior vip account manager who has uh hooked me up he's taking care of me to some extent i am now officially a key account holder holder with tvg and i'm going to be using tvg um exclusively now as my adw and so thanks to nick out there and highly recommend everyone check out uh <laughs> uh oh, or Naira Bats if you're Paul, but okay. <laughs> anyway, uh, anyway, they're they're not officially a sponsor, but um, Nick's been great to me, so I just want to give a shout out to Nick. And Mike, we love TVG. Please. We love TVG. We, we love TVG. Tell him, tell him to tell him uh, to Nick make Paul's a pick. Just kidding, by the way. Tell him to make a pick five. Now that you're in, tell him to make five, make a pick five ticket maker like DRF has, so we don't have to actually load the tickets into TVG. Uh, Matt Miller says Nick is the absolute best. Um, I could tell you, Paul, uh, Pete, I don't want to give details. I had face-to-face conversation uh, with Nick about getting um, Ticketmaker. The problem is the DRF product. And so they, they're going to have to come up with some other methodology. But, you know, uh, they're working on it. There's some Matt Miller. They're, 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 and he said we are working on it. So Matt is very much well, now that I the time. He's now got that, the time. Now that I know Matt's doing it, then I have a little bit more faith. I, no, I no offense. No, no offense. I totally get it. Um, anyway, so the three-old division is interesting. Any quick thoughts? May, about I, Howard, I thought, excuse me, I thought Mage ran much better than I expected. I, I, I think well. he ran very well. I actually have a question for you guys. We didn't talk. I didn't get to talk to Haskell with you guys. Is there any thought, though, that Mage, so the Derby, is that Mage, the Derby is the outlier, and Mage just as is excellent. He's very good, but he might hang a little bit. He's hung in, in three of the races. The only one he didn't hang was the Derby with that crazy pace. And the Derby is almost like a cross off, but he, not that he hung against Forte, but he got beat pretty easy making the lead. He hung in the, in whatever race was the prior to. He didn't, the, he didn't hang on the floor Derby in my opinion, but that's how we, we don't, not hang, we don't want but to rehash that. Not, not necessarily hang, but he still did. He got beat bad. I thought he got beat easy by Forte in the Florida Derby. You know that we had that discussion. Right, we talked about it. Yeah. He ran his race this week and he still and go rocket ride. He was on his hip and he couldn't go by. I'm just asking a question. I'm not saying that's what I, I think. think. I'm just asking the question. I'll, I'll answer real quick. Paul, you answer them. We got to move on to the show. Um, I think his burst is shorter than the connections would like. I don't think he, in other words, he, he has that more like quarter mile burst, Pete, like he did in the Florida yeah. Derby and some other places where he can get himself into the game. I know the Derby, I guess you could argue wasn't that, but he's shown me the ability to really um, make up ground on the turn. Cause he's so damn athletic. 
but he doesn't have that like long, like one eighth of a mile run. And so maybe and that's what I'm talking about. Have, yeah, maybe yeah. they just have to time out that that burst better. Paul, that's my only real thought on that. Yeah, I, I just think coming off the layoff, and you know, we talked about it last week on the show, Pete. Uh, you know, they they basically decided on Tuesday to run on Saturday in a sure, grade one. Sure. Uh, so my expectations, well, they were a little too low because I actually did play Go Rocket Ride on top in some exactas and did not have mage. So the more <laughs> we talk about that race, the more idiotic I stunned. <laughs> um, but I do think that was a pretty good race to move forward to off of Pete. And I got a hunch he's going to like Saratoga. Yeah. Um, and I thought all along – that if it was a tie in Castellano's mind, he may go with Mage. You know, there's a there's a there's a connection there, you know, with his countryman Gustavo Delgado. Um, I think it's a tough choice, uh, but I think after Mage running that race, I'm gonna make I'm gonna give a slight edge to Castellano picking him, but. Uh, We'll see, Pete. You know, uh, just curious. I think I how just it's on target. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. the Derby is not a race one with a big, you know, with, with with a huge burst. Certainly down the stretch, but you know, he 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 made his burst when he needed to, and you know, Go Rocket Ride got the trip. He got the rail trip, and uh, yeah. Mike Smith had a good ride. I, I I I thought Mage ran a lot better than I thought he was going to. To be honest with you. He'll be a factor. Uh, Noah Mega, uh, Noah, sorry, Maher, sorry, Noah Maher. Excuse me, Noah. I got to make sure I get that right. Uh, Noah Maher does a great job on Ben Boozen subbing in. Said, glad these guys are final. What well, I'm about to finally show Delmar some love. We love Delmar. Uh, but we've, we've got Saratoga covered also like a glove on our morning shows and Ben Boozen, whatever. But hey, Noah, the Delmar card. Noah, I like Delmar better than Saratoga. Don't tell anybody. What? Well, let me just say this, Noah and Pete, and we're going to get on Delmar right now. As much as I love Delmar and Saratoga, obviously Paul's got mad love for Saratoga. Pete, I got to say, so far, and it's still only the second weekend of the Delmar um, season, Delmar's cards have been bigger fields. There have been less scratches. The racing has just simply been better. And I don't mean to throw shade at Naira or Saratoga, because Saratoga is awesome. Del Mar, and this pick five is another example, is completely off the charts good right now. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think we'll have to go too far on that. I, I sort of agree. But I, I agree with Paul a little bit, too, where, you know, guys have to run their race. They run their horses in some of these races, too. Let's not just put it all on the uh, on the on the Nairas and, and whoever else on, on sort of those groups. Let's put it on the trainers have to run in the races. The owners have to run in the races. You don't be scared of running against these top-notch horses run against them and, and let's fill some of these especially the stakes race it's disappointing when the stakes races have tiny fields and, and no matter how good that the fields are it's just not as it's not as exciting and we want to see as much competition as possible ralph i do see your comment we'll ask uh we'll ask frank to do at least one impression i don't want to put him <laughs> on the spot uh, uh too much guys we're not going to talk about uh, if you're interested in saratoga late pick five saturday which is a great sequence also uh, watch Saratoga today, Saturday morning, with Pete and Paul. They'll be covering the late pick five. The fields are Pete and, Pete and Kyle. Pete and Kyle. Oh, is it? Oh, it's Pete and Kyle. Yeah. Oh, it's Pete and Kyle. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think I'm on. Paul. I think I'm on. I don't think I'm. Am I on? Am I no, on you're not. <laughs> no, I'm on tomorrow. I'm on. You're tomorrow. on tomorrow with me. My bad. 
My bad. Sorry, Paul. Uh, but join Pete and Kyle Saturday. Small fields, but in mistake races, but wow, are they loaded fields. So yeah. it's going to be exciting. Guys, let's go on to the pick five at Del Mar on Saturday right now as I go ahead and show our picks on the bottom of the screen. It starts in race seven. It's approximately, let's see, 8.09 uh, Eastern Standard Time on Saturday, again, the late pick five, Saturday, Del Mar, race seven. It starts with the main claimer, 55,000 up to 62.5, mile 16th on the turf. The rails are out 12 feet, might help the speed a little bit. It's a very big field. This has been, uh, you know, we've seen this many times already at Del Mar with these nice sides fields. Moreline favorite is the number nine. Um, Adelaide, I believe, for D'Amato and... Antonio Fresu. Uh, Paul, let's go to you first. You're going with the number one, the Flying Pharaoh, 12-1 morning line, Yachtin and Herrera. Yeah, and I didn't have the morning lines, but not not that it matters. Uh, this horse uh, dropped – well, first of all, he's got all those East Coast races, so you know how I feel about turf horses going west, Morris. You know, last time was at least a decent, if not good effort. The, the, there was uh, some trouble, as indicated. He did take money. I think he can uh, improve off that race. Uh, obviously, the Pharaohs on turf are very good. Um, I didn't Paul, think this. Paul, Pete, did you have the over-under on the misgender there? Did I say no. On the first horse of the sequence? No, I, I would have had the over. I would have given him a little more credit than that. Ah, nice glass. She, Paul, she. Go ahead. <laughs> she. Um, I, I don't think this is a killer field. Not that a maiden, uh, not that a maiden claiming race should be. And uh, now I'm kind of, now that I've seen the odds, uh, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued a little bit. So, um, yeah, I, I don't love her, but uh, I, I think uh, she's got more than a punch's chance and uh, you'll get paid if you're right. I've got her third. I do not like five-year-olds who have not broken their maiden. That is a big negative for me, but I figured she needed one on the West Coast and maybe she could improve. I don't think she's impossible. I like the 12 to 1 also. Um, Pete, you're going with the four, who Paul has second. I have the four absolutely nowhere. Warren's Paradise this is a Calbred uh, who's, uh, I suppose you could say dropping down, but I think a main special state bread is pretty equivalent to a maiden claiming 62 5. If not, maybe even more difficult. I don't know. That's that's for another day. Coming off a layoff for uh, JJ, who's pretty damn good in the saddle, and Craig Lewis. Yeah, so I did not like this race at all, so I'm just going to lead in with that. So I, I did not have a ton of confidence in my pick. So I landed on Warren's Paradise. The, the things that scared me, the notes that I had, which were which exactly what you said, were facing sort of open company for the first time, facing older for the first time, three-year-old against some older speed figures are low. So there's basically a lot of knocks against this horse. The thing I did like though, is I like that she, she, she was, you know, she ran nice races as a two-year-old. They weren't great, but she, she passed horses. She was able to close a little bit into some quick paces. She took some money. Once they put her on the turf, she improved on the turf. So my thought is if there's progression from two to three, the ones that the horses in this race that she's trying to catch aren't that far ahead of her. So if she does progress and, and she's just comes back a little better than she was, we're adding Lasix too. 
maybe she could step up. And I was hoping to get, I, when I handicapped this, I was hoping to get a little bit, maybe more of a price, but I don't mind say five to one. And Craig Lewis, he's pretty good with the maiden special weight to maiden claim drop. But like you said, it's not, it, it, it's a little bit, maybe more lateral than a drop, but still it's just a horse in a race where I didn't like a lot of horses. I thought maybe this one has some upside and we haven't seen her best yet. And what she's done has been, you know, pretty good, solid. Does the top bother you at all, Paul? These are the layoff or Pete layoff stats for Craig Lewis, six plus months, one for seventeen. It did, yes, it did, and and I had that one noted as well. But again, in a race where I could pick a bunch of stats that go against a lot of these horses, and their yeah. form goes against a lot of these horses, so yep. it was basically just picking. I was hoping for upside, and if we get it, great. But it's a spread race to me, in all honesty. Um, you guys are completely ignoring exclusive Joni. Maybe I'm way off base here. I don't like the four to one morning line. I agree with you, Pete. This is like wide open. I would never take too low a price. Exclusive Joni's got numbers in maiden 50 claimers at Gulfstream that absolutely fit, if not better than most. Um, which just claimed for Hess. Hess and the Somo are a good combination. Um, I, I, I see no reason why this horse can't take a step forward. I'm not. I don't care too much about a turf horse working on dirt, but 59-3 is pretty damn good. I don't know. She's a fresh face. I thought she was interesting. I thought she could take a step forward. Um, Adelaide, I believe it's By the way, real, real quick, I had the six as, as sort of an A, just was maybe the fourth okay. horse. So I have, I, when we get to yeah. our tickets, I actually have the six. I did have uh, Hess, one for 50, first after the claim in California. So that scared me a bit. That, that was two, one where about to be two for 51. Well, and that's what I'm saying again, in a race like this, I could probably find a bunch of stats and get some rough stats, but that one where I was like, if I'm nitpicking between my top four and who's going to make my top three, that was actually the one that sort of pushed this horse to the fourth spot, but that was it. Paul, Sorry. quick thoughts on the nine. Then we'll move on. It's a drop down for D'Amato coming off a layoff. That's never a concern with me. I mean, she's just logical. You could argue you don't like the drop down, but Delmar is like Saratoga, right? These guys are looking to win races. I don't, to me, drop downs mean less at Saratoga and Delmar than they would other places. And when I say less, I mean in a negative way, less. Yeah, I'm coming out of a good race. Uh, horses coming out of that uh, maiden special from last uh, September at uh, Delmar, two winners and four thirds. Uh, so six horses ran well out of that. D'Amato is 14% on this drop, but only one for 15 at Delmar. And back to your four, Pete, Craig Lewis, not only is he 28% on this drop, 43% at Delmar. So yep. if you want to mitigate that 180 number, and you know, who knows? So now you got one number. And I will say, Howard, you referenced it. Um, Hernandez is simply as good as any jockey on the West Coast right now, period. End of, end of tweet. He is really riding nice. extremely well, extremely well. By the way, that it nine, sorry, Paul, I was just going to say that nine is seven to two favorite. We said, right, Adelaide, or Adelaide is the favorite. Hasn't been less than basically 20 to one in the last five yeah. starts. So that, that always freaks you out a little bit too, where this one took no money now. But again, I, I have it. I have well, it D'Amato, well. It, you know, they're going to bet that D'Amato is the yeah. Chad Brown of the West Coast when it comes to the way they bet turf races. Yep, for sure. Guys, let's move on to one of the two stake races on the card. And both these stake races are, I thought, fantastic. Awesome. Big fields, competitive. One thing that came to mind, I don't know how many of these horses are going to be threats in the Breeders' Cup coming up in November, but 
with the assumption that everyone watching and listening to the show will be betting the Breeders' Cup, you got to pay attention because there are some sort of home field advantages here for these West Coast horses as the Breeders' Cup this year is at Santa Anita. And I think some of these horses could be factors. And I think you have to really pay attention to these big stake races out on the West Coast, especially this year, if you're interested in the Breeders' Cup. You see our scroll on the bottom of the screen right now, and I'll go ahead and bring up. This is the San Diego. It's a prep Local prep for the Pacific Classic. It's a grade two for older males. They're going a mile and a 16th on the dirt. It's a nice feel. I see Paroli's actually scratched already, which I did not know. So Paroli is out. It's a field of nine. And there's a pretty big morning line favorite here, the number six defunded for Baffert and the aforementioned Juan Hernandez. The defunded is just, uh, he's classy. He's very consistent. But, Paul, you and I are going to go against the grain a little bit here. Pete doesn't have our horse on top anywhere at all. We're going to go with slow down Andy, uh, Paul, for O'Neill and Gutierrez, 5-1, to one, I believe, second second choice on the morning line. Paul, I'll let you go first. What do you like about this really talented Calbred? Well, you know, he dances a lot of dances. Uh, O'Neill is, was not afraid to ship him to the Met Mile, uh, in which he ran into a some pretty good horses as we saw, but uh, the fact that he had confidence to ship them across the country, that was only his first start of the year. Right? You got to think he's going to, uh, I'm thinking he's certainly going to move forward uh, off of that race. Uh, second start uh, off the layoff. Uh, I like, uh, I, I, you know, in this configuration, I like the, the one, uh, I think Gutierrez, you know, this horse is usually forward. There's no reason why to think he would, won't be forward. And and I think he might be forward to the point of, like, on or near the lead forward. Uh, we'll, we'll talk uh, – you know, the, the 10 obviously has got sprinter's speed, so that's a factor. Um, and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about defunded. You know, defunded might be just a tad less sharp with his speed going a mile and a 16th than he is a mile and an eighth mile and a quarter. So I think the one certainly could sit off that sprinter on the outside and uh, get a good trip. And uh, it looks like a decent price. I, I, what I see five to one Howard, when you put the yep. odds up. Uh, Slow down. Andy has done absolutely nothing wrong in his last three starts and two of uh, the last two starts. He's lost to some horse. What's the name? Co- yeah. Audi. Oh, Cody's yeah. wish. Who is what the third ranked best horse in the world right now, Paul, or some kind of ridiculous number? First, um, in, first in the in the U.S. right now. So I think Slow Down is going to have a great trip off of Brickyard Ride. I think Gutierrez is going to break. Look to his right, see what the funded does. Brickyard Ride's going to have the lead. I'm not worried about that horse going a mile and sixteenth. Frankly, I think Slow Down Andy's going to go by him whenever he pleases. Um, I'm much more worried about the funded, obviously. But I think he's got some options. I don't. I would. I don't want to see Gutierrez like send crazy hard. I don't think he needs to do that. And I, I do agree. agree with you, Paul, that I think the fund is better a mile and eighth, maybe longer. He's a little more grindy. This is this distance is perfect for slowdown, Andy. I think he's fascinating, Pete. I got to ask you real quick before we get to your pick. What is it you didn't like about slowdown, Andy? I, I don't. I don't. Well, one here, one little stat, which is actually a funny one: graded stakes at Del Mar. Um, Doug O'Neill, two for 68, but one of those two is actually slow down Andy. So that sort of, you know, that means you could, you could sort of debunk it if you want to. It's not that I didn't like it. I like this horse. I think defunded just might be better 
And if I'm just going to take defunded, then I don't necessarily need to take both of them is, is sort of my thought. Yeah. And, and I, I think even with, I think the pace, I agree with you guys on the trip. I think slow down Andy will get the trip. I actually like slow down Andy to hit the board but it wasn't a win contender. Not, 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 not a win contender, just not a top line win contender for me. Eight to five. I guess that's fair. I was going to say eight to five is low, Pete, but that's being a bit disrespectful. This horse is very good. Horse is good. I, I don't know what it is about, about Saturday. I just don't think he has to win. I think he's going to be over bet. I don't, I don't, I, 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 I don't think he has to win, but I think if you're picking him, you sort of have to single him. And then maybe back up, but just from just from a sort of a value standpoint, which is what I wound up doing because I went deeper in the other legs. If you're talking about horizontals, okay. but I like that defunded doesn't need the lead. I like if he has to run the race two back. Now I know that was this yeah. is a little bit better competition, but I think he doesn't need to be on the lead, so he doesn't have to get into the slowdown Andy and um, Brickyard ride sort of you know sort of a speed duel that I'm hoping for. If the fund is eight to five, I have a feeling a Matt Miller win wager will be flying in from his uh, his little hands there on his phone. So I don't think we're getting eight to five. <laughs> I don't think you're five. getting eight to five. Yeah. What do we think... get? Even money odds on Pete? I would assume. Yeah, I would say probably. I would guess four to five even okay. money. But it'd be fair to say that Bafford. I mean, he his horses are not short in in general, but you. It's fair to say that this is a prep for him for the Pacific classic. I mean, he can't be hundred percent cranked up for this race. No, probably not. No, I also don't think though. It's the, it, this isn't the greatest field in the world either. So I think he's better than the horses in this race. I think there's some that could step up and move forward, but I think just based on what we've seen so far, I think he's, he's sort of the best by a little bit of a margin. Matt said a large hop. At <laughs> um, you guys have what American Admiral in the mix. I've got Senior Buscador in the mix. I actually thought there was a decent amount of speed. Uh, Paul, real quick on American Admiral. Uh, maybe this one is improving for Yachtine. Got 98 buyer last time, although that was a four horse field, by the way. Just let everyone know. Yeah, this is strictly, you know, looking at the fact he's been nine times out of 18, second and third. So, you know, as I was picking my top three, he, he was strictly a, a, a third. I, I, in my mind, it's, it's one, six or six, one. And, you know, th- this is what people need to understand about wagering. You know, Matt Miller, whose opinion we respect as much as anyone would say, even money to eight to five absolutely loves the six. You and I, Howard, who were not quite at his level, but were aspiring to get there. You know, the thing is the one's going to be five to one. So, you know, you both can be good bets, you know, not only one can win, but the one at five to one can be a good bet. Cause if you're right, you're going to get paid. And if you love the six that much, the six at one to one could be a good bet. Cause you might think he should be one to five. So it's, it's just how you approach it. I would be very interested in a Dutch exact a one, six, six, one personally for me. Uh, I'll speak for myself. Um, senior Buscador can round out the try. I'm not going to talk about him too much. He's got some back numbers that are very good. And if you know the pace is going to be fair, I don't think it's going to be contested because I think Rickard Ride is that quick early, but it will be a fast pace. I think we're pretty, you know, convinced of that. So I, I think your Royal Ships and your Senior Buscadors could round out your tries. Any other quick thoughts, guys, before we uh, move on? I wanted to like Royal Ship. At first, that's where I thought I was going. And then. 
I just couldn't, I, I just couldn't get there in the end. Just yeah. the form just hasn't been as good lately. And I just couldn't see why he would reverse the race two back against the funded. But if you go back to last year and some of the races that, you know, prior to the loss to flight line, those races fit, those races can win this. I just don't know if he has that in his, in his bag anymore. It doesn't seem like he does. I, he's, he is getting blinkers off, and it's Smith and Mandela. That combination worked pretty well in the Jersey Shore. Yeah. So I wouldn't discount those guys, but he's already seven, Pete. I just, That's the thing. If know, he was, he just, if he, you know, the yeah. seven scares you because it may just be, hey, we all get a little old and move a little slower than we used to. <laughs> no doubt about that. Um, let's move on to race nine, guys. Race nine on the bottom of the screen, you see our picks. Race nine is a real nice allowance optional uh 40 claimer. They're going on the turf one mile. These are for the girls. You hear that, Paul? These are for the girls. Okay, for the girls. Julian Mares. Okay. Um, It is a field of 12. There are also two also eligibles who I would doubt would get in. Maybe one of them would get in. Moyline favorite here is the number four, Impact Warrior for D'Amato and DeSormo. Pete, let's go to you first. Now, I got to bring us on screen here, Pete. When I looked at this race, I, I'm not an all-ball kind of guy. I thought this race was practically impossible. Like, Nothing. complete cluster, practically an all-ball. And then I – so I made my decision, right, my picks. And then you sent your picks in, and I'm like, what? <laughs> I had all those books. I don't know how we both come up with 9-12 in this race, because I thought this race was absolutely ridiculous. In fact, I'm just looking at the bottom of the screen – both of our top threes of Pete. Paul has none of our top threes in his top three, but that makes complete sense. Cause I have, I rarely say this on this show. I have no freaking idea who's going to win this race. I thought this race was absolutely impossible. So we're going to get high. I mean, we're going to go with ultimate high Pete. I mean, I'm with you. And the worst part is when you, when you have a race like that and you land on a three to one shot, anyway and you're like this is the one where you maybe should take a shot with the nine i mean the the ultimate high she runs her race all the time six for eight at the distance but she doesn't like to win and that's what scares you so you're like am i picking a horse on top at three to one that just runs a good race almost every time but just can't hit the wire and that's what scares you so to me it's again this is sort of a i'd like to take a shot against but i think the nine is probably the best horse. So it's a weird one where you're, you're, it's not a favorite. It's not, she's not the favorite, but she's not a She's someone who I think is vulnerable to low price, but I still think is probably the best horse in the race. So it makes it tough. But I, that's why I went with a couple long shots, I think with this horse, because I think this is one where you could just get a price. Cause I don't trust any of them on top. I would never bet. I mean, I'm using ultimate highs and A. I would never put a win bet on this. Oh, race. God, no, no, God, no, no. Five to no, one no, in this no. race, I would say. Um, we're bowling with the 12 shocking gray. I'm a little bit shocked to see 12 to one, Pete. I like that. Not Me the too. easiest post for sure, but I'm a big, ha- a big fan of Mullins and Berrios. This race is wide open. If she can find a way to tuck in early, why not? Yeah, that was, that was sort of my thought. And I also, the, the, she runs better at a mile. So if you look at her races, her, her races at a mile have all been really solid. And even that last one, there was a, a couple next out winners were behind her in that last race. She pops a nice 81 buyer, gets a little bit of time off again. I, I just think this one is maybe at her optimal distance in a race where I don't think there's a ton in terms of, 
high, high quality that you have to really be concerned about. I like the lifetime buyer top. So that means at least we have a horse Howard that's improving and has sort of improved at the mile distance has improved every race. So if we can get a little bit more improvement at 12 to one, I think she's sort of up there with the, on the top line and getting double digit price on that. It's fantastic to me. I agree. I just think it's completely wide open. There's many ways you can go. Paul's going to go with the number three rebel girl at, Eight to one for Leonard Powell. And there's our guy, Juan Hernandez, again. Looks a little bit slow, but maybe she's an improving four-year-old and she gets a real nice cozy post, Paul, uh, while the other ones that we mentioned do not. Yeah, Howard, I think this is a good price. Uh, Powell's off to a great start, as you could see in the stats, 42%. Yeah, he is. You know, that, that race that, that Rebel Girl comes out of, there have been three horses to win and three horses to run second. And in a set, I thought ran huge in her win. A, a, a best bet power pick tip sheet play, by the way. She was there you un go. unbelievable. She, she ran was, was she unbelievable, Howard? She was Ooh. unbelievable. She was uh, really good. And, you know, this horse is two and a quarter lengths off of her. Um, yeah. You know, I, I hear what you guys say. I, I got the nine in, the, in my mix, but. You know, didn't want any part of her on top uh, with the one for 15. Um, you, you know, this is a type of race where you, you, you have to hope to be right. And if you're right, you get paid. You know, if, if you go, this is the race where if you go six deep and get the favorite, you want to just throw throw out the ticket and move on to the next day. But uh, there's certainly potential in this. This is a very good betting race. I'm not poo-pooing Paul's pick at all. I just want to, for factual purposes, I just want to say that Ultimate High did beat Rebel Girl in their last race, but not by much. So I just do want to throw that out there as, as a as a fact. Pleasant Wave is a horse I looked at, dropping down from grade stakes, 10 to 1 morning line. It's got the rail. Paul, again, why yep. not? Why not? Right. Uh, you know, now, again, horses coming out of that race last time are 0 for 6, but four of them were in stakes races. So this horse right. is running very good company. I agree with you, Howard, that the rail at this mile distance on the Del Mar turf is, is good. Uh, Herrera's off to a, a rough start, as is Pepodromo. Pepodromo, yeah, I think I said that right. Pepodromo. But uh, close enough. Th this would be one of those uh, horses, Howard, you could use, you know, the, the famous reverse tri key and play second and third. Uh, I, I think this horse has a real good chance to at least be on the board and. I, I'm going to have them right, uh, have them right in the mix, and in, in my pick uh, five. I mean, Pete, this is just use as many as you can, right? I mean, yes, yeah, and I, I like all really the horses race. that I know we we differed, but I liked all the horses that that Paul has as well, and they were all in competition for the for sort of the top three and sort of the A line, and I would have added all of them in my in my um, caveman ticket if I could have from a, from a, if I, if I could have gone overboard, this is probably the race where I would have added a few more horses for sure. I've got like four A's, five B's and like three C's like completely ridiculous. I mean, I yeah. just, so you got to spread on that race. All right, let's go to race 10. I think this is the race of the day. I can make the argument the race of the day throughout the entire country. I'm going to be at Saratoga. So that's something that's, you know, that's quite a statement to say, but this being Crosby guy, the Bing Crosby gentleman, grade one is just an unbelievable race here. It's one of the better sprinting races on the West coast. Matter of fact, it's one of the best sprint races usually in the country. 
every year. And boy, did the West Coast horses show out, guys. I believe, is this a win in your end? I didn't check. I believe it is. Do you guys know for a fact? To me in the chat. I believe it is. If someone could tell us in the chat, let us know. I think it is, though. But I could be sure. wrong. Is anyway. it this or the Pat O'Brien that's a win you're in for the sprint or both? I thought the Pat O'Brien was for the mile and the Bing Crosby was for the six. That could the be. Sprint. Yeah, the anyway. O'Brien's. Anyway. anyway, it's six furlongs for the older boys. It's a huge field of 12 here. And the morning line favorite is the number 11, Dr. Scheivel for Glatt and Juan Hernandez. Juan Hernandez could have a big day. Guys, this, again, this is a fantastic race. You see our picks on the bottom of the screen. Uh, Paul, we're going to go to you first. We all have Dr. Scheibel in the mix. I have this horse also on top. He's very good. Um, I suppose you can make the argument that the post position is not ideal, but I don't think is a need to leave type. And boy, is there a ton, at least I thought, a ton of really speed on paper, Paul. Stock and pounds for the win. Is that your thought? Yeah, I, I, I like this horse a lot. And again, you know, uh, you can just throw out the last race. And and, and he ran early last race. You know, he, he just uh, going a mile, that one turn mile at Belmont in that field was just not for him. But um, uh, horse for course, you could see his Delma stats. Uh, you could see his stats at this distance. I don't I don't think the post doesn't bother me a whole lot, Howard. I agree with you. He he certainly does not need to be on the lead, and you would think wouldn't be in this race, but should sit a, a really good trip out there. He does have Fernandez, so he's got the best rider. Uh, and, and I think there are horses in this race, Howard, that are going to take money that I don't like. So uh, I, I, I like this. Uh, uh, such as the Chosen Vron. Okay. Uh, I don't know what the morning line is, but I assume off all those ones, he's going to be bet. Paul doesn't like Calbreds in the same way that I supposedly don't like Italians. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't like I, I like Calbreds when when he's running with other Calbreds. But yeah. you could see what he did in the Pat O'Brien last I year without you, running it with Calbreds. I agree. I've um, gotten third, but I, I agree with you in general. And, and and again, I think he will be all of four. I mean, it'll be four to one at the most because we know that people love seeing those ones on the, uh, on the, on the, on the line. It is a winner you're in for the Breeders' Cup sprint, by the way. Yes, it is. Uh, you can, they can deal with Echo Zulu who Asmussen is now talking about running in the sprint, which I love. Against the I think really? NBC, yes, NBC got it right, Howard. They put that at the end of the day. It's going to be Echo Zulu and this oh. horse and Elite Power. All will be well. Steve, please don't do that, Steve. Oh, please just absolutely. keep her against the girls. Why? Why? Because because that she fits better there. But do you you don't remember the days when there was no Philly and Miss Sprint and how well the Phillies held up? Come on, in Paul. The give, give me give me a little credit here. I do. I just don't think. She might be better suited towards the six than the seven. I would agree with that. One twelve. So one one twelve. So highly more qualified quality early speed with the boys. I don't know. We'll we'll see. It, there's a long way to go, but I like starting Pete, trouble, Pete. How do how how I do, Pete? I mean, you know me. Elite Power is going to run her down anyway, so I don't care if she runs there. Great, we can that maybe she'll take some money. That would be fantastic. Can we talk about the speed in this race, Pete? Now hoist the gold. Actually, he's 118 early time for him, but I don't think he's going to be sniffing the early lead personally, even though he was really 
uh, fast last time in a race that I tried to beat her, uh, him, and and Paul was right. But that that field last time was was it was a grade four compared to this field. But anyway, Spirit of Makino, who we'll talk about in a second here, Pete, you've got on top is very good and fast. Toto Fino is all speed. The Chosen Vron is not slow. Kid Corleone is fast. Uh, Anarchist is fast. Uh, Peaceful uh, Waters. Sibelius is really fast. Yeah. I mean, there is a uh, Peaceful Waters. If this horse is in, I mean, he's got to go. There's just a crap ton of really speed. And you're going to go with the horse that I'm assuming you feel can sit a little bit off it. Spirit Makina is very lightly raced, a five-year-old with only five lifetime starts, but four for five and just as sharp as hell right now. Yeah, I mean, and I I had because when you when when he ran that last race, people thought, oh, this horse is, you know, this horse is going to be a this horse is going to be a player in the in the sprint in the high level of the sprint division. So coming back, if this horse is as good as he's looked and you can get him as not the favorite in this race, then I even like that even more. So if I can get this horse at four to one, a horse who's just done absolutely nothing wrong. I do agree with you. Like, I don't mind the loss that came at a mile, just didn't hold. And that was, yep. you know, that was last year anyway. This year, I think he's, he can sit off. He'll, you know, from the two hole, he can work out a trip. I think there is a ton of speed. Like you said, the 12 has to go from the outside. So just from having that outside speed, I think that's going to heat it up just from the beginning. I think some of the speed's a little cheap as well, where I don't trust it to hold. So I want a horse that I don't want a horse that's going to be mixed up in it. I want a horse that can sit right behind that. And I think this one is just ultra talented and, and he could be the one to do it. I love this way uh, the horse is winning. I don't know about the class situation. This is a major, major class test. Yeah. In my opinion, Pete, I mean, he has not been faced. He's been facing Forbidden Kingdom, who, let's be honest, has been very disappointing. Yeah. Um, and some others that are in here, but not the top of the top. He's going to have to prove it to me. I'm against him, but I he might stuff me in a locker. I mean, I totally get it. I just feel like he's got to prove it to me against this caliber field. But I do Guys, like that. I do. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, Howard, I do like that the the horses that are in this, even though they're not at the top, he handled them pretty easily as well. So I like that where he didn't struggle with sort of the lower level horses in this race. So that's the, that gives you a little bit of more hope that he can handle the, the class upswing. Guys, I want to talk about this horse for a minute. This is one of my price plays the entire sequence. Um, and I will say, I do have to look at the clocker report before I make a final decision on get her number. When you guys go look at look at get her number real carefully, first of all, he's one of the few horses that actually close in this race. There are not very many horses that can close. He's got a 113 late time for him. But if you go back, if you go back to November of 22 and July 30th of 22, look at those two races, guys, both six furlongs, both at Del Mar, and he won a one one. Second to American Theorem was really good then. In 108 and change, my first thought was get her number once more distance. I'm not so sure. If this horse is ready, guys, Smith is going to take him back, make a big run late at a big price. I need to look at the workout report, like I said. They they tried. Look, they were in the 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 the, the uh, Pegasus. I mean, that's stupid. Forget that. Ran fine in the San Marcos, but then went to Keeneland, went to Kentucky. And I think he was just on the downswing at that point. Miller has given, given this horse a little bit of a break. He's got back numbers that fit. He's got money Mike on him. He's going to be a price. There's a ton of early speed in here. I am fascinated with number six, get her number, guys. I'm going to use him in all spots underneath. 
He's going to be one of our uh, price spot plays on our power picks. If it falls apart a little bit and he's right, I think he's absolutely fascinating. Final thoughts on this one or anyone else, guys, before we go to the last. I have the six as an A. He basically was he was oh, very wow, close great. to the top three. That makes you so feel better, Pete. yeah, I I because and I think it's more again, he's one that has a little bit of trouble finishing the deal, but I think in a race that if it just heats up, I like him as the best closer, and I think he's not just a good closer, he's quality closer. So I think at that price, he's on my yeah, he's on my A line for sure. Yeah, I, I just someone's got to close in this race, Paul. I mean, I, I so you would. Think- yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think that the closing kick might be a little more effective at six than seven. Um, yeah. So I do like that. I think he's more likely to hit the board than win. Although, as you say, someone yeah. does have to close, and if it falls apart, um, you know, a lot depends on when they turn for home who's leading. You know, if it's if it's one of the, as you say, quote, cheap speeds, Howard, then the chances of a horse like this getting up are, are much better. I would agree. Let's go to the last race, guys. The last race I thought was difficult in the sense there's not a lot of form, but I have a fairly strong opinion uh, in this race. We saw the bottom of the screen. Pete, you and I are thinking alike. Let's go ahead and, and show the Alka base. It's main special weight on the turf at a mile. It's for three-year-olds and up for the boys. It's a field of 12. Now, I know we all know this, but there are some big-time AEs, guys. And so I would caution everyone at home, if the 13, 14, or 16, especially those three, if any of those get in, that might change our picks completely. And I know, Paul, you sent in the 14 on top. And, Pete, we're not going to have time to go through it, but you and I would agree that the 13, 14, and 16 all can win, I would assume, if they get in. They're actually better than anyone in the main body of the field, at least. I, yeah, I like. I, I agree with Paul. The fourteen, I just didn't use him because he's not yeah. in the field. Right. But me, yes, me I would. I just for just for reference sake, if yeah, if the fourteen gets in, he's yeah. probably my top choice. If if he gets in, well, let's go to our top choice, Pete. The four. Um, I watched both of his races really carefully. He's seventy-two more in line. Both times he had a break from the far outside. He broke okay in both. He's not a push-button type. He's a little more grindy, but he has been a little bit wide his last uh, two, Pete. I don't know if he can um, sit in behind horses and, like, accelerate through a gap because he hasn't shown that yet. But I like who he's faced. He faced Yellow Brick and Maltese Falcon, and there's a lot of horses that are just very mad. I just don't like. I think if he gets the trip, I think he's a very likely winner. My only concern, Maldonado for McCarthy, I thought that was a little bit weird. Where's Gutierrez or someone else that's been on this horse? That's literally my only concern. I like Maldonado. I just thought that was a little weird. Maybe I'm reading too much into it. I yeah, I, don't, I, I try not to figure that stuff out too much just because I don't think Maldonado's bad. So if it was a if it okay. was a, a jockey that I thought was bad and it was a real downgrade, I mean, it is a downgrade, obviously, from, say, Saez in the last one. But you know what I mean? It's not a downgrade to where I think it's detrimental to the horse. But the one thing I did like, I think I basically just agree with everything you said for once, which is nice to hear. <laughs> but the one thing I did like is I thought he ran a winning race and I thought the mile and an eighth may have gotten to him a little bit. Whereas now we're cutting back to the mile. And if he runs that similar race, the, the first one was just sort of a toss to me, just broke terrible from the outside, was out of it, but still ran on and didn't, you know, didn't quit, ran on at the end. So I think if we can get a similar race the last time, I think he can, 
I, I think he can get the lead again and actually hold at a mile. Yeah, and I don't. He's a full I, to smooth like straight too. Who is an awesome full brother, you know, full horse. brother to smooth like straight. Who's an awesome horse. Legitimate target. This is just a Damato I trust kind of thing. I have no idea. I mean, gelded LASIK coming from Dundalk. We'll see. I mean, I, I don't know uh, how legitimate, literally legitimate target is. We'll see. Um, Paul, I didn't, I wanna, I didn't wanna... want to lose to that horse, Howard. That was basically because no. I, I just don't know. I didn't know what to do with him. And it's Dem- if it was anybody but D'Amato, I'd be like, ah, screw it. Let's try and take that horse out. But yeah. I, with D'Amato, I think you almost have to put him in. By, this way, by the way, everyone, I see our wonderful guest coming up in the background, Frank Miramati. So, Frank, if you can hear us, give a little thumbs up, thumbs up, and so we know we're great. So, Frank, we'll bring you on in just a few minutes. We are very excited to have Frank Miramati on, a track announcer at Saratoga. We'll go through our pick fives here, guys, real quick. Uh, before we give our pick fives out, Paul, Maltese Falcon, if he gets in, he's been a bit of a money burner, but he's very logical in this spot. Yeah, I think so. I, I like him if he gets in. He's going to need two scratches, and you know, you know, you typically don't get a whole lot of scratches out there. So I could very well be on your four. But I also, uh, I think the thirteen has a chance if he gets in. Uh, someone yes. mentioned in the chat, Uncle Oscar. You got to take long looks at the Oscar performances first time out and, and on turf. Um, David Hoffman, first time starter, is not great. Hoffman's four for forty-four and zero for fourteen on turf. The jock hasn't won. So there's some negatives, but he is going to be a price. I think the 10 has a chance. Uh, I think the three has a chance. I think the one has very good turf breeding. Uh, so uh, I, I think it's fairly wide open. There's a lot of ways you can go. I, I'm, I'm hoping to be alive to the four P and I could like single that horse and just pray really, because I'm going to go deeper in other legs. Personally. I know we have to go, but you had the seven two as your third horse, right? Did you have the seven the same um, as me? I think I did Watsonville. Yeah. I just want to say with that one, my, my worry was, I don't know if the stretch to a mile is going to work for that horse, but right. if you watch that race, he had all kind of trouble, got knocked around out of the gate. He was sort of green, then got shuffled and still was sort of stuck between horses, which I know you hate was sort of in between, which is tough yeah. for a second time starter. And then still finally got loose down the lane, but the, the leader had gotten away. So there was no chance of catching the winner, but I thought that horse ran well. It's just a little scary about him going to the mile. I wasn't sure, but at a decent price, I'll, I'll, I wouldn't mind finding out. Yeah, it's a tough race. It's an interesting uh, race to end the car. Let's go ahead and give our picks, uh, our pick five tickets here. And then everyone watching, we are very proud to have Frank Miramati on coming in literally about four minutes to talk about his life and what's happening at, at Saratoga, it'll be a fascinating conversation. So let's go ahead and give our pick five tickets, ladies and gentlemen, right now. Here's Pete's pick five, four, five, six, nine with six, with two, four, nine, 12, with two, four, six, 11, with four, five, seven, $96, Pete. Yeah, I'll just go quick. The only thing I was going to do, I, I single defunded, not that I think he's sort of unbeatable or anything, but I, I wanted to go deeper in the other legs and that was the only logical single. And I, I kind of want to have a single if I can, if I can't narrow in any of the other legs and the other ones were all just sort of the logical horses that we talked about. So no need to really get into them too much. But again, I would back to fund it up. He's not like a stone cold single to me uh, across the board. Paul's pick five is one, four, six, nine with one, six, with one three, with two seven nine eleven, with three four, and add the fourteen if he gets in ninety six dollars. Also, 
Paul. Yeah, and if the 14 doesn't get in, Howard, I would obviously add someone somewhere else. Uh, yeah, I, I think that the middle leg, I think you've got to either be thin or you mentioned that you're not an all guy, but if you ever were, that would be the leg. So I went yeah. I, I went with the theory of I'm just going to go too deep and take my chances there uh, because otherwise it could be six or seven or eight deep and so, but I, 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 this will not be a caveman sequence for me, shockingly. Okay. Uh, my pick five, guys, I do have a single, and it's on the end. I'm going to single smooth salute on the end and just try to get to live to that horse. That's right, Paul. Otherwise, I'd have to use many there. In in, in looking at my ticket, which I'll read right now, I, I might change the second leg. I'm probably, I'm probably using too many in that race. I've got one, six, nine with one, two, six, seven with one, three, four, five, seven, eight, nine, twelve, with six, eleven, with four. My general thought is I'm very strong on Dr. Scheibel and smooth salute, and I would spread elsewhere. I suppose Royal Ship and Senior Buscador can't win, guys, but if the pace gets heated, I don't think that's impossible. It's a prep for the Pacific Classic. The you know the funding's not 100 cranked. I don't know. We've seen Stranger Things, and they can throw in some big numbers. Royal Ship and Senior Buscador. They probably wouldn't be on my A line for sure. But I would I would consider using them, guys. I think it's they're fascinating. Um, Pete, we're gonna leave you on for just 30 seconds here as we introduce our next guest, guys. Great job, and Del March will be a lot of fun on Saturday. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, boys and girls, everyone uh, watching live and listening later on, I am very, very proud to present one of the best track announcers in the world. We've had many track announcers on this show, but now we are proud to have the track announcer at Saratoga Racecourse, Mr. Frank Miramati. Frank, thanks for joining us. How are you doing tonight? Thanks for the uh, overwhelming and hyped out intro. It's great to be on the show. Nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, Frank. Actually, you and I have met before. We'll talk about that in just a minute. Pete, we're going to let you go. Any quick uh, thoughts or, or questions or comments for Frank Miramati? No, I just wanted to say hi, Frank. I have to go take care of my dog upstairs with the family out of town. So I wanted to say hi, though, and maybe we'll get to maybe we'll get to say hello next week when I make my first ever trip to Saratoga. Absolutely. I've been trying to figure out what these pictures and decor in the background of your uh, various locations. Oh, I have everything. Yeah. You I can... see it. It looks pretty cool. It's That's definitely like, not one of those. Point out a few real quick, Pete, what you got there for a <laughs> What do you got back there? I mean, it depends what you like. I got some Yankee stuff. I got tons of horses, which back there, which you can't see, Easy Goers and Yada, American Pharaohs, some of the nice. some of the big ones. It's just sort of a, I like to hang, as my wife says, I like to take up as much wall space as I possibly can and clutter up the walls as much as possible. That's my, that's my wife's thought on it. So I put everything that I love is surrounding me at all times, basically. Excellent. Love it. Thanks Pete. We'll take care Pete. Next time I see you uh, in person, Pete, we'll be in Saratoga, right? Yeah. First time I will get to meet Paul and Howard in person next week, which will be fantastic. All right, Pete. Thanks buddy. Take care. care. See you. Bye Pete. All right. Uh, Frank, uh, let me first also introduce Paul Howard. If you don't know Paul, he writes for the Saratoga Special, actually. He's been writing with the Saratoga Special for quite a while. Uh, big fan, Boston, uh, native uh, Bostonian, uh, Massachusetts, I would say Massachusetts person. Paul, what do we call person from Massachusetts? Uh, and also, Frank, he's writing a story. Uh, he's writing a book on Cody's Wish, actually, and that's very exciting as well. So, uh, Paul, say hello to Frank. Hello, Frank. 
How are you, Paul? You know, something funny about Cody's wish. Um, when he first started, he had some trouble early in his debut. And I texted everybody who asked me for horses, uh, Cody's wish. And they all took a beating on this horse early in his career. So just to see what he turned into and what a fascinating story it is. It's hilarious because I've had people remind me about what happened with Cody's wish when I touted him early in his career, but what a superstar he is. And I'm so excited to be able to call him later, but I love that you're writing a book. It's just a great story. And, and what an absolute superstar he is. I'll tell you, Frank, we will get into it at another time, but, uh, you were not the only one. The Godolphin folks were very, very high on him going into his debut. Of course, he was delayed. He didn't debut until uh, uh, May or June of his three-year-old year. And to the point where, and, and this is not, uh, this this has really not been well reported, but it will be reported in the book. Junior was taken off of him after that first race. Wow. And Ju Junior did not ride him for the next seven races. And Junior got back on him in the Westchester last year because it was Derby Day and most of the New York guys were at Churchill. And he ran in the Westchester. So I can't that you stay tuned for more detail on that. But uh, it is a great story. And uh, I, I'm, I'm psyched for you, Frank. Uh, you know, hopefully it goes well. But it, at this point, it, you know, it's, it's gone so well to, to be able to to be able to call the Whitney is, is, is treat enough for you, Frank. It's so true. I mean, it's uh, every day. People ask me so many times, what, what am I looking most forward to? I mean, every day there's a new stake. You just never know who's going to show up and what's going to happen. So uh, kind of uh, kind of hard to take it all in, but uh, it's hard work, too. So by the end of every day, I'm completely exhausted. I've never enjoyed sleep. You get five, six hours of sleep. It's a beautiful thing. Well, the few things I want to piggyback off that. First of all, Frank, you're going to see some questions and comments on the bottom of the screen. We've got a, a ton of people watching and listening as well. Katie, one of our big fans, says welcome. Frank, Hi, Ralph Conti, big fan of the show. Frank, the pizza man. We'll, we'll have a little pizza discussion here in just a minute. Richard Avalar loved the card talk with uh, JK on Fox. He enjoyed that very much. And Katie also mentioned she loves having you calling the races at uh, Saratoga. So we got a lot of people uh, listening and watching right now. Frank, I want to say this first before we get into some questions from myself and Paul. And I want everyone to know this. Frank, you probably don't remember because you meet <coughs> 10,000 people. The Del Mar Breeders' Cup in 21 was the first time we actually met in person. And I walked over to you. Uh, you were not working that weekend, if I, if I recall. No. And I walked up to you uh, very politely, said I've got a podcast. At that time, uh, this podcast was only about six or seven months old. It's exploded and quadrupled in size uh, right now and is one of the top podcasts on YouTube for horse racing. But you very respectfully uh, declined and said, don't do podcasts. And I totally understood. No problem whatsoever. He said, you know, check in next year and we'll see. I uh, DM'd you last year, I don't know, in the middle of the summer. I respect everyone's privacy, so I didn't want to bother you. And you respectfully sure. said, you know, not yet, et cetera, et cetera. And Paul and everyone else, I want you to know, out of nowhere, ladies and gentlemen, I got a DM, uh, what was it, last week, from Frank. We hadn't talked in eight months. I mean, like I said, I respect everyone's privacy. And Frank said, I remember I said, I promised that I would come on your podcast if I end up doing podcasts. And I'm starting to do podcasts again, and I love to come on. So, guys, this is the kind of uh, personality, the kind of mensch, as, as people in my tribe would say, the kind of great guy that Frank is. Frank. He made a commitment, and you, he stuck to it. And Frank, really, from the bottom of my heart, and everyone here at the HHH Racing Podcast, we really appreciate 
you living up to your word and getting in touch with us and being on the show. Oh, it's my pleasure. And, you know, you were a gentleman and I just, I felt bad. I don't like to turn down uh, requests. Believe it or not, I almost turned down Card Talk. Um, but I actually work with our sponsors as well. And, and when Gainsway signed up to be on the shows, uh, they wanted Card Talk with JK. It was actually Sean Tugel, who's not with Gainsway anymore. I owe him a big right. thank you because uh, when JK asked me when I was arriving in town, it was going to be Monday. And he said, oh, good, Card Talk Tuesday morning. And I thought to myself, you got to be kidding me, man. Let me get started here. This is a, there's a high profile, a lot of stress going on here. Let me just call. You know, I figured let me call a couple of weeks before we did it. But I, uh, I did it and I'm glad I did. I've had so, I mean, when I tell you hundreds of people have come up to me, it's been amazing. At least we know people are watching that segment and they're watching the show. As far as your podcast was concerned, I told you in one of my uh, emails, I really don't do a lot of podcasts. But if I did, uh, that I would definitely do yours. And so I, I really didn't know a lot about your podcast. Uh, I do remember briefly meeting you. Um, but, uh, it was, it was a very quick, you know, situation. I remember that. Um, but just outside the paddock actually. Yes. Right near Quigley's corner where Tom Quigley was holding court. And, um, but anyway, so when I, when I did the podcast the other day with someone, I said, I felt guilty. I go, man, Howard's going to see this and he's going to think that's the guy who told me he doesn't do podcasts. So I wanted to reach out to you before you saw any of that happening and say, Hey, and I, and I said, I'm not asking you to be on your podcast, but I'm happy to do it. (laughs) And uh, I'm certainly honored to be on it, and I'm happy to uh, to be a part of your deal. And I haven't watched it before, but uh, looks like you guys are digging into some handicapping, and you got to give out some winners and give some insight. More importantly, you know, I learned many years ago when I worked for the uh, people that you've got a hat on for TVG that you know it, it, a lot of it is about just setting the table properly because people have their own opinions. And I can tell you this: in my experience in betting, a lot of my best moments of wagering have been incorporating others' ideas with my own. A lot of us are stubborn. We only think we know it all. But if you can, you know, have the open-mindedness to listen to others and uh, just kind of like mix and match and uh, and do something like that, I think that that's an opportunity to be very successful and maybe more so than just doing it on your own. There's so many times you just miss one, but maybe your buddy loved that horse. So I like the fact that you guys are getting involved, and I would just tell your viewers and listeners – to you know, listen with an open mind to what everyone has to say. You might just hear a nugget, and that nugget could make the difference between winning and losing. Uh, the gem on the bottom of the screen, Matt Miller, is one of the best handicappers in the world when it comes to contests. And Matt will be traveling with me, Frank, uh, this Saturday. I'll be at Saratoga all week long, so hopefully you get a yes. chance to meet you and say hello. I will be there for the full week. It'll be my second time at Saratoga. But Matt Miller down below there uh, says hello. Paul, let's Hi, get some questions. Let's get to some questions uh, for Frank, Paul, and I'll just piggyback off that. And then, Frank, we're going to end our segment a little later on with our famous 10 minutes to post segment, which is rapid fire 10 questions that are some horse racing and some not. You're going to love that. Before we get to that, Paul, fire away away with Frank, please. Yeah, I think, Frank, before we go back to the beginning, if you will, we're now, I think, 11 cards into the meet as of today. And I, I think you had maybe called on isolated maybe about five times at Saratoga prior to this year, but, and obviously you, you follow it, you had your expectations coming in and what it would be like, but now you have a pretty good sample size. So tell us as we're 27.5% of the way through the meet, uh, really how it's been for you. It's been a, an incredible experience. You know, I've been doing this for a long time and so, and I've been to Saratoga and I think that was a, a big edge and I got to give a lot of love and, and respect and thanks to John Embrial who 
really set me up for success uh, with the New York Racing Association from the moment I joined the team um, when I left Golden Gate Fields at the end of 2017 and took that opportunity to, um, you know, to, to do part-time aqueduct. Uh, I was uh, telling that story recently, and it was inspired by a gentleman named Oscar Katz, who was a very, very strong um, member of the uh, uh, TV executive world back in his day. He was a lot older than uh, all of us. He was 75 when I was 17. So uh, he's been gone a while, but he told me in life, you, sometimes your ceiling one place becomes your ground at the next. And Oscar and I were really close <laughs> friends. And when I left Golden Gate, I actually told them that I just felt like, you know, at that point with the Stronic Group, I had pretty much reached the top of where I was going to be. Uh, we had had the audition for Santa Anita. I didn't get that job. I was at Golden Gate. They took good care of me. It was all good, but I went to Aqueduct. And so um, to have the experience of getting into Saratoga, um, it was a process that took some time to develop. And I'm very grateful for it. And to answer your question, basically, um, the, the, the beginning was overwhelming, but I really tried my best to absorb everything. Opening day uh, was huge because they had me in the morning they had me do a radio show and they had me do a TV show. And after I did my first TV show, they started taking me all over to the other TV show. So I guess I was being tested to see if I could handle the media, uh, which was great. But uh, I've been doing that for a long time, but I think they were happy with that. So I, I was, you know, I didn't sleep much the night before, got up excited. Last thing I wanted to do is get there early to be meeting with television stations, but I would never say that. But it worked out really well. I was sweating like you can't even imagine, which was much needed. As you can see, I'm a big boy. So uh, some water was dropping at a rapid rate. Uh, the adrenaline was in full gear going from place to place. And then the first race came up. They wanted a camera in the booth because of the traditional opening, which is and they're off at Saratoga to get the fans involved. So I called the first race and I just kept going and the adrenaline never stopped. I was thinking midway through the card, I may be in a position where I'm going to start drifting out. But uh, that was the furthest thing from the case. It's been very strong. I've, I felt like my energy is really high. Um, it's a challenge. I know everyone's listening. I know there are a lot of critics. And, but this is the moment. You know, you live for moments like this. And uh, thankfully, I was ready to, uh, to handle it. I, I feel very good about what's happened so far. And I'm uh, very, you know, I'm, I, I go in with an extreme amount of confidence as well as humility because I know that things happen in a race and you got to turn the page. You got to be strong. But um, I'm uh, I'm very happy with the way it's gone so far. It is tiring. I will say this. They say father time is undefeated. As you get older, no matter what you're doing, it becomes a little more difficult. These are a lot of big fields, a lot of horses I've never seen before. Terrible angles, as beautifully described by Tom Durkin in last year's card talk. You couldn't see. A, I mean, yesterday there was a horse that moved up with Rosario, the one horse uh, with the turquoise colors and the pink cap. I forgot his name, but uh, it was the one, the 1A scratch. But it was right behind the trees. That horse moved from like, I don't know, 10th to 4th. On the rail, right? On the rail. And, and, I, and I was calling the back and I go, I know someone's missing. Like, who the hell was that? And uh, I, so I could know in my brain that there was something missing. And then I saw it and I tried to kind of make up for lost time uh, by, by explaining that that horse had made steady progress, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, those are the things that go on. The mind is working at such a rapid rate during a race, trying to figure out, A, who's moving, what's happening, Who's this? What's that? And uh, you're kind of bobbing and weaving in that booth to see them at certain points. And um, I was thinking to myself that the thing that I don't like ever in calling races is when the public has a better view than I do. 
Um, and that does happen quite often during the races at Saratoga, just because the TV camera is wide and you can see everything. And the announcer is focused, let's say, on the front of the field and something may happen at the back of the field. And so, uh, God bless you. So, so sometimes in those circumstances, I just wish that I could, you know, have a wider lens for my binoculars. But, you know, it's play by play. I believe you got to look out there. I have a TV to my right and to my left, which I refer to the fractions for. But uh, in an ideal world, I'm not looking at the television because a track announcer has a pair of binoculars for a reason. But there are times in which, even like when they come to the top of the stretch, like right before the quarter pole, it's so hard to see out there, particularly if horses are fanned across the track, that I will oftentimes take a quick peek to make sure that everything's under control. It's, it's a weird thing, but there's a lot of movement in that booth going on. But ultimately, it's all about the final product. So sorry for the long-winded answer. I feel it's going well. Um, I was talking to my mom yesterday. You know, she listens and she tells me, what, like she has told me before, at times in which she felt my energy wasn't at its highest. And uh, she's, she's on me, which is fantastic. She watches every race every day. And I love that. As if you don't have enough and, pressure on you, right, Frank? Yeah, mom, on your yeah, butt. Mom, mom told me I was better today than yesterday, so that was good. Right, well. um, but she was just kind of telling me, you know, not to, you, you know, the whole thing is sometimes in the middle of a race, I, I'm, I just suddenly like absorb, hey, this is Saratoga, buddy, get on it. But it's just the way it is. I'm just constantly trying to motivate myself because uh, I owe it to the fans and most importantly to the connections to, to give them every single thing and to, you know, hype it up as much as possible. That said, it's a fine line. There are some races that you just can't go over the top on, and it's very difficult to, to determine when that should be and when it shouldn't be. But I just think high energy and accuracy is what the fans are looking for, and uh, so far, so good. I, I'm, I'm happy with the way it's gone so far, and it should only get better from here. Frank, we got a quick question uh, from sure. our great viewer. This is from Vale Place on the bottom of the screen. Are you going to live year-round in New York? I can imagine you'll miss California. No, I'm not. I'm uh, I'm just the voice of Saratoga, so I'm calling it Sa uh, Santa Anita full time. That was always my dream job, and um, I'm certainly enjoying it. I've just completed my fifth year there. Uh, I guess theoretically it'll be after the fall meet that it'll be five full years. Right. But um, you know, I'm very lucky that they were allowing me to you know miss the summertime and to be at other places because I have to have their approval to work elsewhere based upon our uh, contractual agreement. I haven't had a whole lot of contracts in my time. I've always been <laughs> a date. I've been a day-to-day -day guy. Let's face it. If they want you out the door, you're on your way out the door. So you uh, at Santa Anita, I do have an employment agreement that that requires me to uh, clear anything that I do outside of calling it the great race place. You do an unbelievable job, Frank, at Santa Anita as well. Thank you. Uh, Paul, go ahead with the next question. Yeah, in fact, this is a good way to get into that. And, and I, I'm not sure everyone's aware of this. You, you, you <clears> mentioned <throat> it in passing. So Trevor Denman leaves in 2016 because he had been the voice of Santa Anita for – what, 20, 30, maybe 30, 30 years. Yeah. And there was a protracted audition for the job. There was a four-way audition, but it seems like you were in the in the final two. And you, you and Michael Rona got the most reps, as they say, in NFL training camp. And and and, and it didn't work out. So you, you know, Michael gets the job in 2016. But you land on your feet. You uh at, at that point, um to, to do that audition, you gave up the job at Oakland, didn't you? I, I did. It was a, it was a, a daring move, um, but I had to do it. And, you know, when I first got the call, I was actually calling at Los Alamitos when the call came in from Santa Anita. I was actually, I went down, which, of course, you know, it's like the military. You're not supposed to leave your post. 
But uh, I went down because a good friend of mine was running a horse that day. And so I went down at, um, at Los Al during that meet. So it would have been, I guess, uh, I don't remember. It had to be it's probably the, the fall meet, whatever, one of those meets, September or December. I don't remember exactly when it was. But I was called. I saw the phone, and I figured it was Joe Morris at the time. And I figured I must have walked right by him, and he was just calling me to say, hey, what are you doing down here or say hello or whatever it was. But anyway, they called me. It was him and Amy Zimmerman called me and they said that uh, they had some confidential news to tell me that, and that I, you know, not to say a word to anybody, but that Trevor Demon was going to be announcing his retirement the next day. And that uh, da, 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 da. And so the first question I had for them, which would have been the appropriate question is, is Trevor okay? I was very worried when I heard that because it seemingly just came out of the blue. I didn't know at the time that he was just quitting Santa Anita and he was going to remain at Del Mar. So I was immediately worried because that's my idol and a man who just means the world to me and whose brilliance inspired my career. So as the conversation went on, I, you know, I would, I assumed that they were basically calling to ask me if I wanted to call at Santa Anita. And, um, you know, I, I told them obviously I was available immediately and uh, I would happily, you know, move in. But they said that they wanted to bring in Michael. They wanted to let the fans decide. And so they put on an audition and they asked about that. Now, at the time, obviously, they knew me and they knew Michael very well. And, um, you know, some people think they could have just decided who they wanted at that time. But they wanted to do this. And, you know, this is a world now we have a lot of competitions. There's a lot of put up or shut ups in the world out there and, and all kinds of, you know, shows. Uh, you know, such as American Idol and The Voice, not to get carried away and put ourselves in that league. But anyway, there's a lot of competition stuff out there in the world. And uh, Michael and I were, uh, you know, very close friends for 25 years. We had worked together on many occasions, including at the fairgrounds and other venues, Turf Paradise, uh, so on and so forth. Michael helped me a lot early in my career. And now this was going to be a situation where it pretty much looked like it was going to be one of us um, for that job. And to me, you know, that was my dream. You know, Santa Anita is the track I grew up at. Trevor Demon's my idol, you know, and I just felt like um, that I had to go for that. And I felt that I really would win that audition. I mean, that's what you have to think if you're going to give up a job with the significance of Oakland, which was a very big break for me. I remember getting the, the, the you know, the news that Terry Wallace was retiring. I was on a 110 degree roof at the San Joaquin Fair in Stockton. Um, which was quite the scene up there. Black spiders, sizzling hot. You couldn't even imagine uh, what that thing looked like. You had to climb up through the stewards uh, deal on a ladder to get to the roof. But, uh, you know, that was part of the fair circuit. I remember when I read that because I, I'd come in and called a race at Oakland before. So I got that big job. It was a huge move for my career. It was a great opportunity. And perhaps the nicest people I've ever met have been in Hot Springs, Arkansas. And so I really had a great gig over there. And at that point, I had Monmouth Park as well. So, I mean, you couldn't really ask for anything more. But Santa Anita calls, you got to show up. So uh, I went to the audition. I went in there. We, we both could have done better than we did. We both did very well. And, um, you know, I felt he did an amazing job. And they gave him the job. And I think I handled that like a gentleman, like I should, which is accepting the decision that was made. And uh, I just, you know, basically congratulated him with sincerity. Uh, and, you know, it was a very big disappointment I actually knew that was happening, though. It was a weird situation. Like, I, I knew as the thing was getting late. I could, there, were, there were signs. There were hints. There were things. Um, but I tried my heart out. I gave it everything I had. And uh, unfortunately, they didn't pick me at that particular time. It happens. But 
Well, as, I, as, I think as, there's a lesson there, Frank, though, right, for everyone. Because to give up Oakland, you know, we talk about Oakland a lot on this show, especially sure. in the winter when things are slower in, in New York and, uh, you know, even before Santa Anita gets cranked up. And, you know, to, to have the you-know-whats, uh, the Callones, as they might say, and uh, you're Italian, I'm half Italian, Frank, uh, to do that, uh, th- there's a great lesson in that. And, of course, two years later, uh, you get the call and, and, and you end up getting the job uh, next time around. And uh, But in my opinion, the most impressive thing about you is the willingness to give up that gig just to try out for that job because it says truly how badly you wanted it. I mean, you got to go for that. I mean, I grew up, you got to understand. It. Also, Saturday, I filled in. Keep in mind, there were a couple of other elements to this situation. In 2014, when I didn't get the Monmouth Park job, which was a monumental disappointment, I had a 13-minute phone interview with Bob Kalina. And when I hung up the phone, I mean, I still can't believe they didn't hire me then. Be- oh, not because not because of, you know, they ended up hiring Travis Stone, who's a tremendous race caller and uh, a good young man and a very talented individual. So, but I couldn't believe that with that conversation, it didn't result in a job offer is what I'm saying. But that was another thing in my life that turned out to be a blessing in disguise because that year, amazingly, it turned out that Santa Anita called me to fill in for 10 days. So, you know, as I said to mom at the next year, when I interviewed for the job after Travis went to Churchill Downs, I said to them, look, guys, I was so disappointed last year when I didn't get this job. However, let me say this, since uh, I saw some uh, Yankee reference uh, a little while ago, it'd be like a kid who grew up in the Bronx. If he could play 10 days for the Yankees, or he could play three months for the Mets, you know what the answer is going to be for him. It's going to be a no comparison situation, you know, give him the pinstripes, right? So to me, to call 10 days at Santa Anita, and I said this to the guys in the interview, which I would pay I would pay for a video of that interview when I interviewed for the job the following year in 2015. It was a classic. But I said, look, it worked out. And in fact, when I took the job in 2015, I still had, I told them, I said, I'm gonna, if Santa Anita wants me to fill in, I got to go. And they understood and they worked around my schedule for that. They were very cool about it. But the bottom line is it turned out that I was in that situation where I'd already called twice. Now they're calling me to do the audition. So I I just felt like I was the home team there, even though I wasn't. You know what I mean? I grew up in L.A. It's a track I was attending in the 70s. I watched Vigors there. I watched Spectacular Bid there. I watched John Henry and both of his big caps there. So many races, so many days. So many times I left school early to go there, left jobs early. I was delivering for a pharmacy in West Los Angeles. I went out to Santa Anita uh, and, and, you know, snuck in there. I remember, you know, when I took a final exam one day, this was hilarious. I was in high school. My best friend, Elon, who I lost uh, years ago, a few years back, devastating, man. He was my best friend, like my brother. And Elon, uh, I turned him into a horse fan. And uh, I remember one th- one horse he made money on was a horse named Sang. And he also made money on a horse named Norbet on several occasions. And Elon and I were, were best of buddies. And anyway, one day at Beverly Hills High School, where we both went, he was a year older than me. Uh, I said to him, when, when you're done with your final, you come down and my, you know, I was taking my English final at that point. And, uh, you know, in the classrooms, they have those little windows, like where you can you know, just kind of fit a face in there maybe. And I remember I had like six answers left. It was the Scantron test. And there were like six answers left. And his face showed up in that window. And I knew it was time to go. And at that wow. point, I was never getting an A in that class. I was probably going to get a B if I really took a beating in that thing, maybe a C. But I, I was not getting an A. And I remember at the end, 
I said to him, I go, my last six answers were a bunch of five to one shots, like B, C, A, D, E, because <laughs> I, I didn't care about anything. And like, that's ridiculous on one part. But on the other part, the fact I could tell this story and smile about it and remember my buddy and the way he, I used to just convince him we have to go to Santa Anita and he would drive me there all the time because at that point he was able to drive and I wasn't 16 yet, so I couldn't drive. Uh, those are moments that I just cherish forever. And, uh, and so, you know, I thought going to Santa Anita, like to me, this is a place I watched every race my whole life. Um, you know, they've heard me call. They brought me back after the first year of filling in. I thought I was the favorite in that thing. And uh, they picked Michael and Michael's, you know, I, I, I was quoted in the Los Angeles times. I thought he did a better job in that audition. And I'm not embarrassed to say that he, he did great. He stepped up. I thought my best was out there. There's, and, and there's, a, there's a line and a word that the late Steve Sexton told me when, when he picked Michael over me um, in the Lone Star Park job, because when I didn't get that job, Steve Sexton, may he rest in peace. I never met him, but he certainly was a top class guy. But he said to me specifically, this is a long time ago. He said, I'm not going to tell you you were our second choice. I'm going to tell you you were one A. It was a very close decision. And we went to Michael because of the following reasons. And I certainly respected where he was coming from when, you know, fairgrounds, um, hired Michael many years ago. I was the backup announcer. I called the first seven weeks of the meet. And so we worked together quite a bit during those times. I felt like if ever there was the time where, where you know, the two of us, if you just think about it, I mean, if you try to draw like an analogy, it was just like that was the showdown that I could hope for it would be at Santa Anita is the only thing I could ever ask for because that's my home track. I've had some spins around the track by calling the last – like I had to do it. It was a no brainer to me. And uh, in the end, they gave it to him. And then a couple of years later, when management changed, they called me and they offered me the job. And there was a lot of chatter about how that happened, what happened. What happened is the word that Steve Sexton used when he didn't pick me is it's subjective. And that's exactly what it is when you pick a race caller, because you're picking somebody that you feel is going to do the best job for your racetrack. And at the time when the management was different, they wanted to have me and they offered me the job and it was something I couldn't turn down. I said it before, I'll say it again. And it's the truth. I never called Santa Anita. I would never give Santa Anita the satisfaction of calling them again to say, Hey, do you want to hire me? They didn't hire me when they did. And uh, I left Golden Gate Field. So I wasn't trying to get that job under any circumstances, but when they called me, it was a job I accepted. And it's, it's unfortunate that it was at his expense because he was a guy who was very good to me, a very close friend of mine. And unfortunately, you know, those things happen in a profession when you just, you know, a job like that comes open, you have to take it. And and uh, I did. And I, it was just something that I felt was God's grace is the way I looked at that, not as anything other than that, that amazingly, I didn't get the job. I got very sick a couple of months after that audition to the point where I couldn't care where I was calling races. I was glad to call anything. I was glad to be on this side of the soil after what I went through. So things come into proper perspective sometimes in life. And you realize that, you know what, things that we think are that important really take a backseat to, to more important things such as your health. So to get the job there was an amazing thing for them to get me. And then for this to happen, these are two things that uh, I would have never, ever imagined happening after I didn't get that job in that 2016 year, but a lot of things changed and I'm trying to seize the moment and just, you know, do the best I can and, uh, and, and accept this blessing and make sure that on a daily basis, on a race by race basis, that I am absolutely giving every ounce of my soul to what I do. And I do that. And it makes me feel very fulfilled. So right now, even though 
it's a tough gig. It's high pressure. It's what I dream of. And it's what I want to make sure I do better at every day. Like I, I watch races. I watch replays of the races. I always think, what could you have done better? What could you have said better? What could you have seen better? And uh, that's the way everyone should be in every facet of work and life. Well, Frank, you do a great job and you're, you're very worthy of everything you've uh, gotten. We're very happy that, you know, your health scares are, are over and you're doing well. And we're happy about that. Do you have a few minutes for our 10 minutes of post segment? Uh, I'm good, man. I'm, not, I'm just hanging out at home. And we'll, when we're done, it's safe to say it'll be lights out over here and I'll be sleeping. I hear you. I know. We, don't, I'm we, good. We, need your, we need your voice for tomorrow. So I, I right, said man. a half an hour, but we're, we're going to we'll go good, a little bit late. I, I enjoy talking. I enjoy sharing. Uh, I had a 10 minute conversation with a guy and his nephew on the way out the track today. I'm a man of the people. That's what the mirror man song is, right? He's a people man. Absolutely. All right, Frank, let's go to our last segment. It is called 10 minutes to post 10 minutes to post Frank. These are going to be 10 rapid fire questions. Five of them are related to horse racing. Five are who knows. Are you ready for 10 minutes to post? Please bring it. And you can answer these in five seconds or a minute. Take as long or short as you want. Paul and I are going to alternate uh, going first. I'll go first. Here it is on the bottom of the screen, Frank. What was the first moment you fell in love with horse racing? It was it was probably before I even remember it, but I know this. By the age nine, I was devastated that my dad wouldn't take me to watch Seattle Slough in the swap stakes at Hollywood Park. I wasn't even 10 years old. I was very upset about that. So to give you an idea, at that point, I was so into it that I didn't care about seeing Lakers games, Rams games, Dodgers games. I just wanted to go to Hollywood Park. Santa Anita and an occasional trip to Del Mar. I would say very young by, by the age of eight, seven, for sure. It was over. That was the only thing I wanted to watch. I love getting autographs from the jockeys. And I remember those moments vividly. Uh, Paul, you've got the next question. Oh, this is a good one. Cause Frank's been around your bucket list racetrack or event you would like to attend. That is a very, very good question um, because I've been to so many places that I really, I, I would think, let me just think about that. I've been to the, I've been to Churchill Downs. I've seen two Kentucky Derbies live. That's an experience everybody should have at least once. Um, and both times the California horse won, California Chrome won, and um, American Pharaoh won the other one. So a, a, a place I'd like to attend. It can be um, overseas also, Frank. That's I know. I'm thinking about it. I'll tell you what it would be. It, it, it would be probably the Melbourne Cup. That would be an that's amazing. That's a very popular one on this show. That, that's, that would be the answer <laughs> because uh, Greg Miles, who has called that race many times, uh, is one of, and, and anyone who said he's the best of all time, I wouldn't argue with them. I'm a Trevor man, but uh, Greg Miles with that voice and that delivery wow. uh, certainly has painted some incredible pictures. I would think that because I was in Australia once in 1990 oh. and for whatever reason, where I was at the time, they weren't having a meet and I didn't get to see live racing there and their fans absolutely love the sport. Wow. That, that, that's a great race. Like 28 horses and the stretch goes on forever. It's fantastic. Uh, I know you're a gambling man, Frank. You like to throw a few bucks on the horses. Do you have a favorite track that you like to wager on? When you're not I would working. say, you know, typically speaking, it's the New York, uh, New York racing because, you know, that's what I follow most closely when I'm working. Obviously, I, uh, you know, do everything in my human power to stay away from it. And uh, and so, you know, the good news about my Saratoga job, I've been getting absolutely run over at Saratoga for years. And uh, and now with me just calling the action, I, I don't have to worry about that. This is going to be the first in the last nine years that there will not be a net loss at Saratoga. I do. I do prefer. Uh, wagering on New York um, racing. And, um, you know, obviously my whole life would be Santa Anita first in every category of horse racing in general. 
Um, but, uh, you know, I, I love the Breeders' Cup cards wherever they are located and, and the big days. Those are, those are good opportunities if you could beat some of those favorites along the way. But, um, you know, I, I would say if, if there was one place I'm undefeated at was Suffolk Downs. I was there in 1989 and uh, I won 2000 bucks and I didn't have much with me when I went. I, I pretty much it was like one of those let it ride days. I won like every race. There was a gray horse, number six. That was my uh, I don't remember who he was or, you know, I, but I remember the general time frame it was definitely 89. Um, and by the way, I was the voice of the Great Barrington Ferry. You'll be happy to know as well. Yes, uh, I'm aware. And that story has come up big during my visit here. And when I went to New Haven, I drove right by Exit 10 and that beautiful, I'm not a guy that like usually gets enamored by surroundings, but that drive through Massachusetts, man, that is a beautiful part of the world. The Berkshires, I actually saw Saving Private Ryan at that historic theater in uh, in downtown Great Barrington. So wow. favorite track, uh, um, I've never had any luck in Florida tracks, Gulfstream. Uh, I joke with Pete Aiello often. I'll tell him I hate Gulfstream Park in a joking manner, obviously, because it's so difficult. Calder was the most impossible track of all time. Um, I would say that uh, probably Belmont Park, if I had to pick one place that I feel like I'm solid at, it would be uh, it would be Belmont Park would probably be the best. But to me, it's very important, no matter where it is, to watch the horses in the post parade. I think that's a very, very important thing. Uh, I trust what I'm looking at, and, and I think that's way better than my handicapping. But if I had to pick one track to bet at nationwide and just make sure, I, I think Belmont Park would be the answer. Uh, Paul, you got the next question? Tough question. Ooh, another good one. Most exciting race you have seen in person? Funny you mention that because I've had the privilege of calling some incredible races, including yes, you have. Um, I've, I called American Pharaoh's Arkansas Derby. But I must say this, the most exciting race I've ever watched in person is actually the best sporting event I've ever attended in person. And that was Zenyatta's Breeders' Cup Classic win. And I didn't pick Zenyatta. I didn't need Zenyatta. I didn't want Zenyatta. <laughs> but the truth <laughs> of the matter is that was the most incredible thing I've ever seen at the racetrack. Right before the race, maybe about 10, 15 minutes before, I ran into the legendary breeder, John Harris. Um, and he's been very kind to me always and, and just a good man on so many levels. And he invited me to his box. He was with a good friend of his and he invited me um, and, and my guests to this box right near the finish line. And we watched that thing develop and, and, the, the, the reaction from the crowd, I had tears in my eyes and it wasn't because I just took a beating in the race. It was, and it wasn't because it was just that kind of moment. It was unbelievable. Just as Trevor said in that call, oh, it's something call. I'll never forget. My buddy, Justin was there. Uh, and, and, and we just got to enjoy that. My buddy, Anthony was there. There were, there were, it was, it was one of those days for the, for the record books and something I'll never forget. Well, you might've just answered the next question, Frank, but, do you have a favorite race call, whether one of your own or someone else's? Yes, uh, I do. And I think my best race call to date, at least, you know, before I got to Santa Anita, because now I've called some races at Santa Anita that I might have to, like, upend my Arkansas Derby call. But my call of American Fair in the Arkansas Derby was a great call. Um, and, and it was great in part because of my good friend Larry Letterman, because I talked to him before and I called the Rebel and I said to Larry – uh, who's the most entertaining track announcer of all time. If you need a laugh and some good shtick, that's the guy you wanted to listen to. If you could find some of his old races at Frantic City, Atlantic City, um, just just uh, off the chart stuff. But anyway, I called him before and I asked him, I said, look, Victor Espinosa is just sitting with this like grip on, on, on this horse. 
and, and, and he's never asked him. And, and, and I just can't think of what to say if that happens again. And Larry, in vintage, immediate, nonchalant, he goes, we all know the answer. The way he said it was just so quick. And, and, and that stuck in my mind. And, and, and in the Arkansas Derby, when he turned for home, it was the same story again. He started opening up, and I said he was putting on a show, and I said he has not been asked a question, but everyone knows the answer. So it wasn't his exact words, but it was definitely what he said. And so I, and I've always given him credit for that because uh, it, was a, it was a great line, and it was executed, and he performed. And I really felt at the very end of that call, I said – that is one special horse. And as a result of that race call, the Zayat family reached out to me and they invited me to spend the entire week with them, put me up uh, at the Galt House and then for the Derby night uh, at the Hilton Garden Inn. And I got to spend the night with them. I mean, spend the week with them from, the, from his last workout that day, a week before the Derby. The whole experience was something that was just, I could write a book about myself because I got to experience a lot of the family and, and, and the rituals and what they went through and um, so on. All that said, my favorite race call of all time happened at Churchill Downs in the year 2000. And it was All-Star Announcers Day. And Luke Kripos, uh, the legend that he was and such a good guy that he was, and perhaps his best quality was his level of humility. A lot of people like to name drop and tell you they're going to dinner with this person or that person called them or this or that or the other. But Luke invited me, and he was the kind of guy that would say to me when he was working at uh, Kentucky Downs or Ellis Park, he said, hey, I got to go out with my best friend tonight. He's the guy in the jocks room that does the laundry. I, that always sticks in my mind because Luke was just a real guy, and he wasn't all about fluff and hype. But Luke invited me to be a part of that, and he had arranged with them to let me call two races that day. One is myself in the middle of the card which was an unbelievable experience. I'd never even been to Churchill Downs. In fact, my bags were in the press box because I didn't, I couldn't even get to my hotel before I came in. So I was like a European shipper, shipping right in, bags in the press box. I call one race. But the last race I called was the last race of the day. And I called it as everybody who had called that day. So uh, to give you a, an idea of who it was, when they got to the gate, I introduced them as Marv Albert. I was doing Marv Albert and D. Wayne Lucas going to the gate. And I said, when they went to the gate, um, I said, uh, let's go to the starting gate for the uh, finale. And for the call, we kick it off with Sean Byrne and Vic Stoffer. So I had Sean Byrne, Vic Stoffer at the gate. I, I started the race. Uh, there was a couple others in there, but I, call, I started the race as Luke Kripos. Um, may God rest his soul. Uh, I then moved from him to John Asher, who uh, may, may, may God rest his rest soul his as soul well. What a great line. You know, when, when the job was open for the for the Churchill Downs job, uh, John and I had talked about that, and, and, and I was supposed to go in for an interview, and it, the interview didn't happen, and they, they hired Travis for that job, and they did a great job in hiring him. But I'll never forget when I called John, 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 John Asher to ask him what was going on. Like, you know, how because I was supposed to go in for an interview, and there was a big snowstorm, and that thing – Basically, that blizzard took me out in more ways than one. But I didn't get to my interview, and I didn't get that job. But it's okay. Um, but I remember a, a line that he said to me, which was, over here in Kentucky, he said, we like to sip a little bourbon and deliberate. I'll never forget that. And, and uh, I was on with John uh, way after that um, uh, situation on a radio show with him. And I'm glad I had the chance to get to know that man. What a what a what a beautiful human being he was. But anyway, I, I went from Luke to John Asher to Mike Battaglia 
to uh-huh. Tom Durkin. Um, and then uh, I went from Durkin to Trevor Denman uh-huh. and to Dave Johnson. I have that copy somewhere. I found it a couple years ago during the pandemic. I found the disc that my man, Dennis Swanson, whose real name was Dennis Thompson, but for whatever reason, we called him Dennis Swanson when he was at Louisiana Downs. He taped that deal. And I know it's somewhere. I couldn't find it. I've been trying to find it recently because I want to post that with the permission of the Twin Spires. I want to post that call because that call was uh, just an incredible experience. And what made it so special for me is Trevor Demon was there. And Trevor's not a guy, anyone who knows him knows that he's not a guy who like socializes with everyone too much. He's kind of keeps quiet. And that's kind of part of his, you know, part of his appeal is that he's just unreachable. But he saw me that day and I told him what was going to happen. And he told me he's going to wait and watch that race. And that meant so much to me. This is my idol in the year 2000. Waiting. And he watched it. And when the race was over, he came to the booth. And when that race was over, Dave Grenning of the Racing Forum and Jay Pridman both stood up from that view of the announcer booth. You could see those guys. They stood up and gave me a, a standing ovation, which was a real special thing to me. And it was Luke and I in the booth. And Trevor Demon came in and he said, Frank Miramati, you're a magician. How do you do it? And uh, I, and I, you know, for me to hear that from him, forget about it. And then the best part about it is that was a quote for just the three of us, obviously. Later that week or the following week, Luke Kripos was a radio guest with Mike Wilman on Thoroughbred Los Angeles. And Mike asked him, what did Trevor think of the impression? At which point Luke said, uh, Trevor called me a, a magician. So that would be my wow. favorite race call, and I think my best one that I ever did. And I hope to find it because I, I found it, and now I can't find it. But I know it's somewhere in a bunch of boxes. And when I do, I'm going to post it, and I think people will enjoy that call. Well, the one on YouTube from Turf Paradise that goes like a minute and a half is just, you know, a class. I love listening to that one. Uh, Jeff Chapman is here. Chappie says hello Chappie. from Blazing Hot Arcadia. So hello, Jeff. Jeff's been on our show also. Uh, a great guy. Uh, Frank, if I may, I've had um, a lot of track announcers on the show you've already mentioned i had we've had tom durkin on we've had vic stauffer i love the great track announcers if you don't mind i have a one minute clip i asked paul allen who i think is one of the most underrated track announcers in the country he he actually was out of california before he went to canterbury i'm sure you're familiar with paul got the job at bay meadows i'll never forget it i opened the forum i was at los al that day i had met paul and he and i were on some ridiculous show with a guy named the mighty man mike stevens Paul was writing for the Pasadena Star News. I was an aspiring track announcer, and I did those voices. And uh, and we were on that show. I know Paul and I would both pay big money to get a copy of that show from that Downey restaurant with the red uh, with the red boots. Well, here I asked Paul Allen. He was on the show. He's been on the show twice. But I asked him this little clip. It's about a minute, if you don't mind, Frank. I think you're going to find it fascinating. It. I asked Paul what was his favorite race call of all time, and let you hear what he has to say. This was. Paul Allen, track announcer at Canterbury Park on this show approximately two years ago. I would point them to Tom Durkin. The the year Cigar won the Breeders' Cup Classic, and he beat Le Carriere, Soul of the Matter. Can't remember, 96, 95, whatever. You pick that thing up at the 3-8 pole. When Durkin, Cigar's moving so fast, Durkin's going through the field and he's so dramatic. He's just so theatrical. I just love him. And blah, blah, blah. Free prolongs to go cigar. And he makes his move. And, you know, then he carries us to the top of the stretch and he's just dressing it up. And he gets caught 
because I know this game, he gets caught not taking a breath at the eighth ball. <laughs> so it, it down by the 16th now, and and Jerry Bailey, the way Durkin was just ex- exasperated because he missed that breath, is like calling on Cigar for everything he has, and it just stretches out. And yeah. From the three eights on, that Cigar Breeders' Cup Classic, that is the best patch of race call ever created. The incomparable, Boom. unbeatable, Mamba Cigar. About- Frank, any thoughts on that incredible uh, uh, race call from Durkin for a cigar? It was an incredible call. And, you know, the other thing that he said in that call was, you know, he wants to go, and Jerry Bailey says, no, not yet. So that call was uh, was amazing. Uh, you can never hear it enough times. There has been a, a long debate as to whether he says incomparable or inconquerable, and it's actually inconquerable. It he is. clarified that. He clarified that on our show too, yes. He, oh, yeah. And, and, <laughs> he did. Uh, you know, Tom Durkin is a legend, and he has delivered masterful call after masterful call. And most importantly, he has stepped up in those moments. But the ending there of that incredible campaign, believe it or not, it was just on Cart Talk. Uh, because uh, it was the deal where they were, uh, Jonathan was just interviewing uh, Bill Mott on this week's Car Talk. So I saw that this afternoon. Isn't that crazy that he would bring that that race up today? And I, I saw that. I love the way he says it when Jerry Bailey said not yet. But Tom's ability to paint that picture, similar to the way he painted the picture when it was Victory Gallop and Real Quiet, when Victory Gallop denied Real Quiet, the ending of that yeah. race, uh, the ending uh, of the test between you and Carson Hollow. Uh, it's those moments to be able to seamlessly come with the line. And uh, it's nice to see Paul Allen on there. Paul had me at Canterbury. They flew me in in 1999. Uh, and I, I called the whole card there doing different voices, including a Paul Allen impersonation. <laughs> and uh, uh, Paul was nothing but a gentleman. I stayed at his house and uh, he was super cool to me. And uh, I used to call him in the booth once in a while at Bay Meadows if I had a bet down, I remember I bet 50 to win in place on a horse one day. And uh, Paul was Paul was doing uh, what I like to tell Al Stahl when Al Stahl has had to call me before to hear a call. I say, look, I'm going to give you a little ISO cam. So you're going to get a little more description about your horse so you know what's going on. So I remember in the race, particularly, it was a Friday night at Bay Meadows. I bet 50 to win in place on a horse. And Paul was listening to it. I mean, Paul was calling it. And I could tell he was giving me a little extra description. And at the end of the race, he picks up the phone. He goes, you lost a hunch. Click. So uh, <laughs> my horse was nowhere. And he made sure I knew that during the race call as well. He's had an amazing career. He's a man of faith and uh, an extremely talented individual. His football calls have been beyond off the charts. And uh, good for him because he's a guy who started. And he's a guy who learned from the master Trevor Demon himself. He is. I'm a big fan of Canterbury Park. We got five non-horse racing questions, Frank. If you have five Good. more minutes, and then we'll let you no go. Problem. I'm going to go first here, Paul, with this one. Uh, Frank, most nervous you've been when meeting a celebrity? Most nervous I've been when meeting a celebrity. Let me think about that for a minute, because I didn't go and see Al Michaels, and I didn't go and get Rodney Dangerfield. Both of them were in my grasp uh, to meet them. That is such a good question. I'm going to take a few seconds live to just try to that's, think about some of the celebrities that I've met in my time. We know you've um, met many, that's for sure. And you've I know I've met some so, of them as well, of course. I've, I've, <laughs> I've met so many celebrities. So let me just think about like uh, actors. Let me think about like uh, football players. Man, that's a tough question. I hate Oscar. to not answer a question. Um, yeah. Let me just that's think. Okay. Hold on. I hate, to, I hate to drag this out. Um, what's the matter with you? You never met Robert De Niro. You know, you never met him. Um, 
my goodness, who did I meet that I really was like, I can't think of an answer for it. I feel bad. I, I want okay, to answer that right. question. That's all right. We'll go on. I, I, it's like an X in Family Feud. I'll try to come back to it. <laughs> um, there we go. I'll uh, try Paul, to come go back ahead. Time on the clock at the end. Okay. We can come I back met. to that. Yep. Paul, you got the next one. Your favorite athlete growing up? Um, it might be growing up as like how young does it matter what what age time? time well, well none of us have ever grown up, Frank. So you got a wide window. <laughs> favorite athlete growing up? I mean, as a kid. I would say maybe Johnny Bench, and I'll tell you why. Uh, my brother and I would play pitcher-catcher sometimes, and my grandfather bought me the Johnny Bench glove um, where it had the the little, um, whatchamacallit, around it, the the target around it. And so uh, when, when, uh, when, when I got that, that was one of my favorite presents. I, I, I did like the big red machine. It was after they had won their World Series, but I was a big – I used to wear a, a Cincinnati Reds helmet um, – you know, to uh, to school. But let me just quickly think, like, football, baseball, basketball. I mean, I love Magic Johnson, too. Uh, I love that Laker team in Los Angeles. Uh, yeah. But uh, I'm going to have to go with Johnny Bench because I think when we're kids, we're at our – that's that's our most true feeling. And getting that glove of Johnny Bench's was very important to me. And I recently saw something where he was uh, – I think with maybe John Velasquez or something, and I just smiled and I commented on that um, on Twitter. So Johnny Bench was a, was a monster. That team – was amazing too, and uh, George Joe Foster Morgan, batting fourth. Yeah, number thirteen. Believe me, Je- Dan Dreesen at first, Caesar Geronimo Caesar batting eighth. Uh, that was some team. Oh, that was that was that was. A that was after team. Tony Perez, so I wasn't on the Tony Perez team. Pete yeah. Rose, obviously. Uh, then Ray Knight. Good night, Ray Knight. Yeah. So yeah, that, that was a pretty solid team. That team kicked my Chicago Cubs asses all the time. Uh, we got yeah. three more quick questions, Frank. Again, we really appreciate your time tonight. I'll be in Saratoga Springs beginning Saturday. Where should I go for pizza, Frank? Maybe the most important to to, question of the night. It's the easiest answer of all time. You go to Nove. I just tweeted about that. It's there 100%. Try their Sicilian pizza. I would okay. say light cheese. And uh, sometimes too much cheese is just too much. Now, keep in mind, I'm a big boy, so I'm like a car and the cheese light is on. So it's like the oil light. So to me, the cheese light is always on. But here's the deal about cheese. Take it from a guy that could easily weigh 500 pounds if I didn't curtail the cheese. Once you taste it, you've tasted it. So like you don't need to put like, think about if, if, if you ever put cheese aside on a meal, it turns into like a baseball. Just picture that bomb dropping in your stomach. You don't really need a whole lot of cheese. But the pizza bread that they serve as an appetizer um, going in uh, would be something that uh, I, I would say is, uh, you know, it's it's as good or better than any other pizza. But but Nove, for sure, their other food is great, too. Keep in mind, I don't eat meat, chicken, or fish, but all their fish and other dishes like that, I've heard, are just off the charts. And uh, Louis Laz, if you're having a problem getting a table, just make sure you say, Frank said I could get a table since he tweeted about your restaurant. And uh, watch how fast that'll show up. Because Louis, and he likes to go by Lou, but, but Lou Lazanero, I was with him last week. And I won't get into the details because he wasn't talking to me, but the speech he gave a guy was one that I'll never forget. I just loved every bit of it. It was done with such class and concern for this individual that it was just something that I really enjoyed. And so that's an added touch. And you you never know who you might run into there. Mike Rapoli, the Pletchers. There's all kinds of uh, personalities you'll find at Nove. Make sure you get there. It's an eight-minute drive from the track. I will be there Monday night for a charity event through uh, Keisha uh, Clement's uh, charity that she has with her mother. I will be there with Matt Miller. Two more questions. Here we go. I'm still this trying one. to think about celebrity. Like, like, like I can't believe I'm I. Uh, Bo Derek, Frank. I'd be. A, I'd be. I met Bo Derek. Bo Derek. I, I can tell you, you this. 
Bo Derek was in the booth with me um, with a group, and it was at Oaklawn, and a Shadwell horse trained by Dan Pites at a big price won the race. I don't remember the horse's name, but uh, certainly it was uh, – she's as beautiful now as anyone could ever imagine, but uh, they, they, they named the movie correctly about her as a young lady right. when they came with a 10. Let me All know right, if you're coming with a 9. Let me like- know how she lost a point. More like an 11, I would say. Yeah. Uh, whoops, sorry. That, Paul, That you got the next one. Oh, all right. Let's go to the Rams. Your favorite Ram. Who are the best Rams? Jack Youngblood or Eric Dickerson or someone else? I, I would. I know how to answer that. Got to ask you the LA Frank. Ram question, uh, Frank. There's nothing wrong with the LA Ram question. You know, believe it or not, as a kid, and a lot of people, especially here in New York, wouldn't be happy about this, but I was a Dallas Cowboys fan. Um, and so uh, one time, a guy named Herb Freed, his name was Happy, made a deal with me and my dad. And he said that if I changed my eating and started eating eggs every morning, he'd give me 50 yard line tickets to a Rams Cowboy game. I started eating eggs. I hate eggs. Although eggs are a part of chocolate chip cookies, but I like it that fashion rather than the actual egg. But I was killing the taste with bread. And I called him up. I go, Mr. Freed, I don't want the tickets. And he laughed so hard. I was like 11 years old. And I went to the Rams Cowboy game. It was like the worst game ever played by Roger Staubach. He threw four interceptions. They got blown out. And, uh, one of them was a pick six. It was a disaster. That's a great question. But since, you know, I, I do know that defense wins championships. Uh, I, I, I hate to not go to Eric Dickerson because he's such a freak. But uh, I think Youngblood would probably be the better Ram in that situation. Yeah. That guy was a force. He was yeah. a terror for the uh, for the offenses. Oh, man. He, he played with broken man. bones. And I'll tell you, my Chicago Bears took care of Eric Dickerson in the 85 NFC Championship game, which I still remember very well. Mike Singletary helped shut that young man down. But uh, they, that well, was a great team. This. Do you know the words of the Super Bowl shuffle by heart? Um, I know some of them. But right. They don't want to hear me sing, Paul. But I know, I know, I'm sure I've got the record somewhere. Maybe I'm the uh, funky QB known as McMahon. When I hit absolutely. the turf, I've got no plan. Oh, How's that? Used to love that. That kid, that kid, I was in middle school at that time. It was what a team that was. Oh, I wish I had the fridge at like 75 to one. They cleaned up on the on the in Vegas with that bet. Wow. I love that. All the coaches, everyone. Unbelievable. That was a fun team. Last question comes from me, Frank, and I've got yeah. to ask you this to, to uh, finish it out. Your favorite impression, and can we hear whatever one you want to do? I don't want to put you on the spot, but give us a little impression down the show, man. And we really thank you for being on the HHH Racing Podcast. Uh, it's been fantastic. Thank you so much. I would have to say my favorite would be Trevor Demon because, like I said, at Santa Anita, when, um, when, when I was – when they introduced a radio station there called K-Win, um, it was an on-track uh, deal where basically when what Trevor would do is he'd say, the horses are approaching the starting gate. My voice is a little shot right now, so it's not my best, Trevor. If I had a drink, I would – in fact, I do have a drink. Stand by. Take a quick sip of oh, water. Oh, this guy, if his, if his voice breaks in the middle of one of the – calls tomorrow i'm gonna feel awful about it I don't worry about a thing man i got chloroseptic i'll be spraying uh, it's real All nasty right. taste but it does the job don't worry about any of that but anyway so he would say like the horses are approaching the starting gate and, and so you can listen on your earphones or a walkman or whatever it was in that time then he would come on the air with with just the on-track audience listening to kwin which you could only hear at santa anita and he would then give insight into what he saw in the post parade and how he might have thought. And Trevor's not a gambler, but but he's a guy that had incredible insight pre-race to be able to tell you what he saw. And so it was through his, he had a segment at Santa Anita called Foreign Form, 
where he would assess time form ratings of, of the various participants and how they might be able to run at Santa Anita that day. And when Golden Pheasant, who I'm going to have to rank as my favorite horse, because I think that even though I've had other great horses that I've loved, Golden Pheasant, I think, if I was to really thank a horse for getting my career going, Golden Pheasant took my love of Trevor Demon to a whole new level. And it was when he made his U.S. debut in a very salty allowance race that I was in the Santa Anita infield, where I like to hang out in the infield, because in the infield, A, the speakers that they had, you could hear Trevor just blasting in your ear, and that's all I wanted to hear because there's a lot of noise at the racetrack. But also, you can watch the race around you and then go to the TV so you get every view at the same time. It's a beautiful thing. So, or it was. When, when Golden Pheasant made his U.S. debut for Wayne Gretzky in the Suma stable and Charlie Whittingham, Chris McCarron wrote him that day. Gary Stevens wrote him when he won the Arlington Million. But Trevor said... When I looked at the past performances, I thought it was a misprint. I thought this guy would be in the San Luis Rey or an equivalent based on his form. But he actually qualifies for this allowance race. And so he went into this whole thing. And uh, at that point, I put every penny in my pocket on Golden Pheasant. He broke slowly and he mowed down a good horse by the name of Fly Till Dawn, as well as another talented horse owned by Jeff Siegel and his Clover Racing partnership with Barry Irwin called Canitor. It was a very, very good race. And Golden Pheasant mowed him down. And 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 so my my I started to really follow Golden Pheasant. And when he won the Arlington Million, I happened to be in Las Vegas that day. And I specifically went to the Golden Nugget to watch him because I thought that was good luck. And I remember I had this Microsoft bag that was carrying my um my my stuff because I was working in the computer industry at that time. And it was from one of those trade shows, probably uh, Comdex or something. But I remember that bag and I remember walking through downtown. But uh, so I called Trevor afterward and I thanked him for that. And he said, you know, I don't bet these horses, but I did have my $20 there on Golden Pheasant. And the thing that he said to me that day is he goes, you just knew that Charlie was prepping him in the Eddie Reed. And Eddie Reed, a grade one big race. But Charlie Whittingham was prepping him for the Arlington Million. And he sure showed up that day when he ran down with approval. Uh, I met Wayne Gretzky one day and, and he was more impressed with my when I told him about horse racing, we started talking about with approval and uh, he loved that conversation. I, I still, I, I'm still kind of, uh, I'm still kind of stuck on, on where, who I was most nervous about. I really have been trying to, I've been trying to multitask and figure it out because I know there have been moments that I've met people that I'm just so starstruck by, but for whatever reason, I haven't come up with it. Tonight. Well, I'll tell you what, Frank, I'm going to be at Saratoga starting Saturday. I'll be there all week long. Paul will be there next Tuesday. We'll, we'll find you or I'll, I'll get in touch with you and you can give us our answer at that time. Frank Vermati, you've been an absolute pleasure to have on the show. It's been such a joy to go down memory lane and we look, wish you you know, a ton more success and doing the great job you're doing at Saratoga and, and San Anita and uh, just keep doing what you're doing, man. You, you're killing it. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I look forward to seeing both of you guys here at Saratoga. Please come up and say hello and, uh, and maybe we'll meet afterward and uh, Maybe we have that. There's a little place by the Shake Shack. A lot of people like to congregate after the races. There's a little Absolutely. bar there. We'll make None. sure that we hang out there we, and say cheers. We'd love to have buy you a beverage or a sandwich or whatever you'd like. Frank, thanks a lot, man. Really appreciate thanks, Frank. it. Good luck to your calls tomorrow, Frank. Thanks for having me on, right. guys. I really enjoyed Take care. It. Good night. Bye bye.
All right. What a great guy. Unbelievable. Gave us, gave us an hour. I feel bad. I know Frank can probably still hear. I said, I, you know, we only really have him on for half an hour, but you know, he loves to tell stories and I certainly didn't want to interrupt him. And we know everyone here, Paul appreciates the time that he gave us and the stories and uh, just a lot of, just a pleasure to listen to. Oh, absolutely. And, and, you know, he referenced it, but you know, it's a grind, you know, you, you listen to those guys. It's, it, this is the ultimate in pressure in, in that job. You know, you get the Breeders' Cup and the Derby. I get it. But on a day-to-day basis, you know, the microscope is just, you know, you have one mishap. And especially now, you know, 20 years ago, you had, if someone saw the replay, they saw the replay. But now with everything going on social media, and you know, there are the morons out there who just love to take people no. down. But now he's, no, we know that. and I got to tell you, and he really, you know, we didn't talk a lot about his calls up there because no. uh, the other stuff was so great. But he really is doing a great job at Good figuring job. out what is going on in the race and who's moving with purpose and, and who isn't. And he he is painting that picture. And, you know, and I love John. You know, John Embrial is a tremendous guy. And, and Frank paid tribute to him. He Frank has really picked up that ball and running with it. No, he's doing a great job. I'm just looking at the comments. We have a lot of thank you very much, everyone, for listening and watching. I know Frank enjoys talking, so we didn't get as many questions and uh, you know comments from you guys in as, as possible. Listening and and watching, we really uh, appreciate it. And you know, Paul, let me two quick things. I'll we'll, we'll end the show here. Number one, he mentioned that it's not difficult to call the races. Didn't they raise the turf course like a few years ago? Literally raised it up a little bit higher, so it's a little bit harder to see the dirt course on the far turn. Correct. Like the actual yeah. turf course was raised up, I believe, a little bit. And, and, and other things, right? That, I believe you're right. And Howard and Larry has said this. It, it, the, the vantage point from that announcer's booth is is not great. Not good. <laughs> so it's uh, – yeah, yeah, You know, yeah. have a chance to go up there next week. What do you think? Maybe, maybe Frank will we'll see what Frank can do for right us. Right up on the roof. I know how to get there. That'd be great. Love to get a picture with him. And uh, last thing, of course, um, he's, he's doing a great job there. And you, like you said – it is not easy at all to do what he does. I don't think people have uh, understanding at all how difficult it is to call races, but Frank is absolutely, he's much too humble. He's one of the best announcers in the world and does a great job. And Paul, that's, I don't want to get sentimental, but that's what makes, that's one of the things that I'm very proud of this show. Sure. We can handicap and go through PPs all the time, but I just want to say what a pleasure it is to have you someone, a professional journalist next to me to interview so many great people we've interviewed uh, on this podcast and we'll continue to do so because this game is much more than just looking at the black and white numbers in the past performances. And, and we've talked about this before, Howard, it's a testimony to this sport, this game that someone like Frank Miramati is willing to give us an hour in the middle of his work week. Tomorrow is tomorrow is Wednesday for him yes. you know, with, with two, you know, three huge days coming up. Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And, you know, for to Todd Pletcher to give us what he gave us that night, it was over Chad a half Brown, hour. And Chad and Brown and, Unbelievable. And, you know, it, it's just – it's a testament to the game and uh, the, the people in it. And uh, because I think deep down, you know, the people that love it want it to succeed. And, you know, we're doing a very small part to make that happen. We're trying. And, again, we could not do without you – the fan zone. So please make sure you hit that subscribe button, the notification bell, the thumbs up button. Uh, Paul and I will be back on there. What about three hours from now? We'll be on uh, tomorrow morning. We'll be on Friday morning, 10 30 Eastern for Saratoga today. 
Paul, thanks a lot for uh, Frank Vermati, my co-host, Paul Hallen, and for co-host Pete Visco. This has been your host, Howard Kravitz, episode 279 of the HHH Racing Podcast. Crush your bets at Del Mar this Saturday. Take care, everyone. Have a great night. Bye-bye.